to episode 139 of Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. This is episode nine of season number six. We're already in the sixth season, Wacy. How about that? Well, the world, man. Time flies when you're having fun. And so uh, we've had this conversation a couple times, but the seasons are probably not relevant to most people, mm-hmm. except for on on iTunes when uh, we don't get the numbering right. And then it like gets buried at the bottom of the list. And people are like, oh, where's your latest show? Oh, it's uh, lost in the internet because we it's didn't label it depths. properly. The depths you gotta of label podcast them. land. Got to label them properly. <laughs> so that's the only reason why I know this, because I keep track of it here. So I know where the heck's what's going on. It's been so, a heck of a run. We are. Approaching, approaching, we're approaching 400,000 downloads on the show. Oh, what's yeah, that happening? too. That too. Slowly getting there. It's happening. Uh, we got some. It's getting warm out again. Here mm-hmm. in Canada, which we love, it's probably getting warmer wherever you are too. Unless you're in the southern hemisphere, then it's probably cooling down. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. not a lot of you southerners really listen to this show. Not southern, hem- southern hemispheres, except for our Aussie friends and maybe a couple of Kiwis. So we thank you for listening uh, from this that far away. Haven't been there in a while. Maybe Dude, did you someday. did you get uh, fucked up by the time change? No, not at all. Actually, not a all. little bit. I slept in like the next day. That was it. Yeah, I I found I'd like I I found it like. I was like more than other times. I felt like way more fucked up from it, which is really weird. But really, yeah, probably yeah. the BC, probably the BC. BC. Apparently, BC is thinking about switching to not like to Saskatchewan style. Well, I think but a lot of folks, just... a lot of people should. I don't. I think it's really necessary. Well, they're waiting on a, they're waiting on a vote from I think the state of Washington, um, because I I think Washington um has to agree with BC like has to do the same thing because there's so much trading and stuff done between the two. Yeah. So, but it's like it's it's like probably gonna happen, which is crazy. Huh? That'd be kind of neat, though. So then, what oh, would I that haven't... would that put us? That wouldn't put us two hours off of BC time if Alberta changes a bunch, would it? Be the same or uh, one hour I think different? it'd be the same. I think it'd be two hours in the two hours in the winter time when it's when it falls oh, back. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That'd I think. Be... I think that sounds kind of made up too, though. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe I were Maybe overthinking like this. I mean, um... it'd be the same. Well, no, it's never the same. So it'd be one so, or one or none. I don't know. So it's three. So it's, it's four o'clock here now, and it's five o'clock in Alberta. Three forty, right? Or yeah, four forty. Are you at? So if you if you fall backwards, want to be the same time? Huh. If we stay the same, right? You'd be at three forty now, and you would be, we'd be at three forty. So it'd be the same actually. Yeah. It's, it's only be one hour in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. One. There we go. We figured it out. Anyways. Anyways, time <laughs> change. Oh fuck! Uh, no, I was not that bad off. Um, the what are we going? What are what's up this week? So what's up this week? So we had a good chat uh, last week, and I got a lot of positive uh, comments back from a lot of people in the industry. And I was surprised that I was surprised that, uh, and it might still be coming. I haven't been around folks and haven't been any events yet, but I was surprised we didn't get more negative feedback from that opening of the show um i had to apologize to jill after i was like hey i know you work for the stampede but we kind of did this so sorry about that mm-hmm. sorry once again jill about that part of it but it was something that had to be said uh i i think and I, I don't think there's enough of this honest feedback sometimes in a public forum for rodeo and western sports in our industry so keeping up with that theme let's get right out to rodeo houston wacy <laughs> uh so some uh, shit story, went down. Yeah. So the story is uh Bo Cooper gets called for a barrier penalty. Uh doesn't really truly break the barrier. It's a malfunction. 
uh, loses $50,000 over the process. He's disappointed, obviously, but there's no replay. There's no way to overturn this call as far as... The way the there's rules no way go to... or anything. That's something, right. you, something you can do. Yeah. Like Actually, no... and I got to look at this thing that Sean sent too. Um, I need to find that. Yeah. Well, like, like you're saying, like without the the use of instant replay and i think that well the pbr is the only like western sport that uses any type of instant replay whether it be for calling slaps or can you still can you still challenge rides in the pbr right whereas um yeah and even in canada we even yeah. have that in canada too yeah so you can't the deal it's too bad especially when there's this much money on the line because like bo went from winning like over fifty thousand to only five thousand yeah. dollars towards so the standards so i mean Here's calfropen.com. After the Bo Cooper incident at Rodeo Houston, let's look at PRCA's rule on barrier failure. A failed barrier cost Canadian title rope Bo Cooper $50,000 at Rodeo Houston on March 19th, 2023. What could happen or what should have happened? So clearly does not break the barrier. Uh, the neck rope clearly off the calf at Rodeo Houston with Bo Cooper still behind the barrier line. Um, 2021 resist over the year. He had the best... Riley Webb's 8.9 second run to win 50 grand. Eight and a half could have skyrocketed to the top of the world standings and gave him a legitimate shot as the first NFR. Instead, Tomlin announced a 10 second penalty for broken barriers, stunning Cooper and fans everywhere. So this comes from Jade Corkley. He says, I don't know Bo, Bo Cooper, but I sure hope they make this right. I know they can take a barrier off or put one on after the rodeo's over. I've seen them do it. So no better day than today. That comes from three time world champion healer Jade Corkle. Um, advocating for an overturned call or the distant Vincent replay. Cowboy Channel is the best thing that ever happened to Rodeo, and they are the cause to, um, but to cause Rodeo to make some changes, commented Justin Moss. Huh, interesting. Um, Shane Hanchy, Shane Hans, Hanchy commented as well, who's also somebody who Bo Cooper has been learning a lot from lately, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so yeah, that Bo's spent a lot of time down there, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Jade Corkle, if you knew him, you'd love him like we all do. Hanchi said, what's right is right. And this was a bad call. And this has come from Hanchi, world champion, title rubber. We don't see them as obviously in our event as you guys do from time to time. This one hurts. It hurts bad. The judge could have made it right. The judge could have made it right. He had the chance, but instead chose to look Bo in the eye and tell him that he'll be able to sleep tonight knowing he didn't, he didn't make the wrong call. Oh, boy. That's brutal. Oof. CalfRobin.com has reached out to PRC leadership for comment on the issue and will await a response. Here's the rule book if barrier system failure. If barrier if the barrier fails to work, but the flag operates correctly and the time is recorded, the contestant or team will receive that that time. Barrier penalty will be waived unless barrier, barrier is obviously beaten by contestants. Wow. Damn, so that's right there in the rule book. Hanshi says he, he got hosed. The neck rope pulled off the cap. The barrier never released. He should have got. He shouldn't have got the plus ten. He should have won Rodeo Houston. Damn. Brutal. But coming from so, Bo Cooper, he says, "Thanks everyone. I appreciate every one of you being behind me. Pretty cool to know that there was this many people that were pulling for me. Biggest moment of my rodeo career. Wish the feeling of throwing my hands in the air, knowing I won it, was a little different. That's something I'll never get back. Brutal. Yeah. Dang. So." Some of the judges in the PRCA are actually salaried uh, employees. So I wonder, you know, some are, and some are contractors. And some are doing this on the weekends as something fun to do on the weekends, right? Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's kind of, 
it's 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 tricky. You don't want to crap on somebody that's like some of them are damn near volunteering their time sometimes. Like it's not, you know, we've talked to a few judges on the on the show before and they're not really making a lot of a lot of dough, but no. I mean, and there's and there's the human error thing, like people make mistakes. Yeah. But when something's like this is that blatant, like you gotta do the right thing, you'd think, right? And I don't know if there's more time involved that is needed for like a review, but I'm, I don't know if he was last out. If like, if he just needed to, um, if the judge needed some more time to hail, say like, Hey, this isn't right. Like, you know, but mm-hmm. he, he might not have been watching that close or didn't think it was, you know, I, I don't know. They, the judge at the time can't go back and they, they can't like, how do they, do they watch on the replay? And be like, Oh no, that's messed up. Like I got to take that back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't have this picture of this angle showing, What's the cowboy channel angle immediately, yeah, sure. right? Yeah, and, and he's the moment. Yeah, and and I don't know what the production limits are at Houston if they'd be willing to put in their own replay or I don't know what the procedure is. I guess on these replays, the, the we've talked about this a lot of times with, with the PBR, but the PBR can do things like adding replay challenges because they're uh, they put on all of their own events. The PRCA would have a difficult time putting in a replay challenge or a you know. Mm-hmm. Or instant replay because they don't put on their own events. And there's no, the only staff from the PRCA or any kind of employees that are probably at at any rodeo are the judges. And they're not all, they're not the production people. They're the judges. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I feel awful for Bo. This would have been a career defining moment, a career Kickstarter. You know, we saw uh, Zeke Thurston kickstart his career winning with the win in Houston in 2015. This kind of could have been a similar moment for Bo. Uh, his name has been making some rounds already because of this issue. So, I mean, he might get a favorable call or two down the road, maybe, hopefully, for his yeah. sake, right? Like somebody trying to pay him back a bit, but still um, not going to change the fact that he got hosed yeah got hosed. Well, and yeah. even too, like not saying that may not this may work out that way, but it might be his only opportunity ever in that position to win Rodeo Houston. Maybe you never again, know. You know, right? Hope like, not, but could could happen. <clears throat> so. It's tough. To, yeah. It's just tough to see, and it's it's kind of like, again, you, you we talk about the whole professional rodeo cowboys association. It's just like it's a pretty amateur thing to have to happen at a at a professional level event, especially the level. scale, especially with that kind of money on the line. Like it just it's tough 50 to see. Grand. Yeah. So it would be great if they would change the ruling. I don't know if there's a like a later replay review or maybe, um, I don't know. We've talked about the markout rule before too, but. Maybe there's a, I don't know. I just hope there's something that comes of this, that maybe this is the final straw that something changes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I hope that enough people like Corkill and like Shane Hanshi step up and talk about this to where the right people hear it and listen and understand that something has to happen. So, and I, and, well, and hopefully this, eventually you hear something from the PRCA. Like where there's been crickets from them since this happened. Yeah, but usually like, you look at any other screwed up. Well, you look at any other professional sport though. You look at like in the NHL when there's been like wrong calls and in, in games about goals or like other like there's an, an, an immediate reaction or immediate press release like addressing that incident. Like they don't want to sit there in Marina. Yeah, they let to keep the people in the know, right? So I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully you hear from them soon. Um, yeah, and rodeo Houston all they have is fastest times and high scores. And then the one, the one quick story from Houston talks about Riley Webb winning the winning <laughs> the Houston title. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that's pretty bad. Yeah, not a good deal. So 
Yeah, the feature story is Riley Webb's. Riley Webb is feature. Oh boy. Anyways, I hope that something comes of this. Who who knows mm-hmm. what will happen? I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. And 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 it won't be the last we hear from Bo. He's he's a handy kid. He had a lights out CFR too. I think he won two or three rounds there. He's on he's yeah. on the right track to be to be a star. So well, and good news too. Uh, Jeremy Bueller, another major win for yeah. that guy. Yeah. So yeah. he goes. Uh, you know, wins the hundred grand at the hundred and some thousand at uh, the what was it? The World Series, right back in. Mm-hmm. I don't even know when that was now. It was like 2011 or something like a long time ago. He wins that big check there. Uh, he's a world champion in 2016. And, uh, you know, what I, a few I rounds last year. Yeah. So another big, big win for Jeremy Bueller, a guy that shows up on the big stages and makes those, you know, gets those big checks, makes those big, big wins. So congrats to, to Bueller. Um, another thing coming out of Houston is, uh, at, uh, almost two million dollars in prize money too. That I haven't looked at that in a long time in Houston. That's pretty awesome. Uh, also, just like we talked about with Calgary, though, I wonder. I, I got to look at how long Houston has paid fifty thousand to win. I wonder when they're going to up that. We're yeah. all making less based on uh, inflation lately, so you know Houston's still a great show. But I wonder. I wonder what the what the growth looks like for that. And I also, well, you know what, I heard about this is the other thing about Calgary. I heard they're changing the format. So there's ten uh, pools. No, sorry, three pools of 10 contestants. So now there's 30 contestants instead of about 22, I think, they had last year. Oh, wow. So there's three pools, I think, for the first time and no wild card now. So I think that... I forget what the... what I got to look at what the exact format is, but I'm, I've hmm. heard there's some changes to the format coming to Calgary. And just as a question, I hope that they pay $100,000 this year because if there's not 100000 this year for the winners, I'm going to be curious why. Yeah, what the hell? I was curious last year, and I don't yeah. know if I ever asked that question to the right people. But well, and, and even looking back to how successful it was last year, like there was it was a good year for the Stampede. Well, even the what was it the NFR? Was it the like the the COVID year in Texas? They announced like halfway through they're still going to ma- match the prize money. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if you know you're having a good year, you know by fucking day five if you're having 100%. a good year. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that, and that and that right. brings uh, shout out to the Pinocchio Stampede for their seventy five thousand dollars dash for cash this year. That's yeah, can be more than Stampede was last year. <laughs> True, and in Bonoka, in Bonoka, six thousand people, a fraction of the size. So yeah, I saw that the other day on their social media. So I want to give Pinoka a shout out for making and shit happen. They and they up the prize money in the rodeo too, event. right? Yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah, so, yeah. So if Pinoka can do it, I would sure as hell hope the Calgary. Can do it. <laughs> yeah, well, and even <laughs> same with Houston, right? They're they're yeah, selling out the barn for 70,000 people to watch concerts each night. Like there's yeah, but it's one of those things where it's, yeah. there's stuff's happening. But last time I was at Houston, there was not a lot of people there for the tie on roping. So, mm-hmm. so I can get why they might not prioritize some of that. But anyways, mm-hmm. uh, Wacy got a really big show this week. Uh, a lot of good stuff here. Good visit. I, I, I mean, for anyone that tuned in here, that was uh, here to listen to uh, here <laughs> here to look, get right to the the story with Melissa and uh, and Alex. I'm sorry we just rambled on about some Calgary shit, but hopefully maybe we'll put some links in here, Wace, on like when the actual interview starts. People can like skip through yeah. all if they want to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't know. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Thanks to our friend Max Thompson for lining this one up. That was a heck of a chat. Again, this is Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wacy. Thanks for tuning in this week. We'll uh, catch up with you here on the other side. Cowboy Shit is a proud partner of Horse Expo, which is back at Westerner Park in Red Deer from April 28th to 30th. We'll be at the largest equine trade show in Western Canada, and we want to see you there. Come down to the Cowboy Shit Round Pen to watch the trainer showdown or check out the clinics, presentation lounges, art show, and more. Get your tickets now at horseexpo.ca using promo code CS20 to save $20 off your Horse Expo ticket. We'll see you there.
Cowboy Shit with Ted and Wasey. Thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. We got a we got a really big show lined up here today, Wasey. Uh, we've got <laughs> a little uh, out of our strike zone for oh, guests, but it's gonna be a good one. But you know, you know what the cool part is? It's all it's all extreme sports. Like everybody in here has done something really extreme and, and uh, done it at, at very high levels. So we're uh, we're gonna get right into it. Looking forward to this show here. But uh, we've got. A uh, three-time Olympian in the skeleton and a bronze medalist. She's been on the Amazing Race Canada. That was in season six for ten years. She's been a she was a host for CBC during the Calgary Stampede and the Road to the Olympic Games. She grew up grew up in a rodeo family with uh, her parents raising bucking horses, and now is a barrel racer herself and has been for a long time. Please welcome to the show, Melissa Hollingsworth. Hmm. Thanks, guys. Hey, <laughs> hey Melissa. Great to see you again. Nice to see you too, Max. <laughs> Right, and right. uh and for, yeah for those uh who are watching on our youtube page the sharp dress fella with us is our good pal max thompson max competed in ski jumping and all the fun stuff and still heavily involved with team canada on that front and he works for a company called h2 safety in calgary and is kind of a, a man jack of all trades master of none when it comes to that deal so welcome to the show <laughs> max thompson thanks Wasey. Awesome. Max also <laughs> went to the olympics 2006 and he's our fr- friend preston's boss preston sire been on the show before <laughs> Definitely his boss. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. He's a popular guy on the show. His voice is iconic. Quite good. And our third guest today, we've got a big show. Uh, She's a Canadian, Canada's first ever world champion in the ski jumping and the first Canadian woman to win a World Cup ski jumping event. She's also the only female athlete ever to win junior and senior world championships in one year. Coming to us from, I think, I think you said Finland. He's in Lofty right now. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, Thanks hi. For doing you, this. yeah. You left out the Olympic bronze there in her intro. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also have no, big de- no big deal. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> three, three Olympic medals on the show today. Three. Yeah, you also left out the uh, the uh, distance record of two hundred and twenty five meters. Yes, yeah. I should let you do the intro, Max. I'm, I, I bugged that one. <laughs> Between the five of us, we got two bronze medals in the Olympics. Not too, not too bad, eh? That's pretty cool. <laughs> that pretty cool. That's the hardware. <laughs> I'm so interested to hear about the evolution of how things have been like when I started way back in the nineties to what your journey has been, Allie. So it's, uh, I'm excited to hear your story. I'm excited to share it and I'm excited to hear yours too. <laughs> hey, Melissa, before we really get, get into it, uh, are you a fan of Winsport or not? I want to hear your honest opinion. Oh, Ooh, well, you know, I was a part of, um, when they were doing the plebiscite for the 2026 uh, bid to come back to Calgary, I was part of all those meetings. I was there with Mayor Nenshi and I got to hear all of his rah-rah stories and how he was going to support those games. Um, everything seems so positive, you know, from what I know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really separated myself since Sochi of the 2014 games, not only just because of the political stuff, I'm sure you've seen the the movie Icarus on Netflix with the doping scandals. I still to this day don't know what result I have because, you know, four years later, the the Globe and Mail, the, the McLean's article came out and they adjusted our results and then they handed all the medals back. Like it's, there's, there's so much scandal that has happened since then that for me, I've just kind of removed myself. But as far as wind sport goes, I've got a good memory from when I was there as an athlete. It saddens me of where things are at to this day, because now we've got athletes like Allie and, and future generations that were like, 
legacy babies of what we had built and even be like before me in 1988. Right. And so it's, it's, it's sad that it's crumbled to this, this point. We got into it pretty hot and heavy here, Max. <laughs> yeah. For, oh, I know that was an early question, but I started at that, that COP, I still call it CODA uh, in 1989. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, I feel like a lifelong battle just to keep the ski jumps alive for us. And so um, like, I think you'll soon find out that Allie had to move to Germany uh, at 14 years old, 15 years old. She lives in Slovenia. Her coaches are Slovenian. I did the same thing in the early 2000s. I moved to Poland and Eastern Germany because um, the, the venues just, they, they weren't maintained and it was a constant fight to, uh, to stay alive and train and compete for the sport you loved. So yeah, Al Allie, like she's a, the success story. I'm the failure story, which is awesome. I went <laughs> off my own, made the Olympics, came second last place and coached for a couple of years, but frick, Allie did it. So it's, it's so cool to see. Yeah. But you're one of the forefathers, right? You're the one, one of the ones who like the, the bricks of the road Matt, that made it possible for might the, I also, the young athletes like Ali. Might I also add Max handpicked me from a group of children. So, you know, there's some credit there. Why don't we get into that? That was gonna be my question. I, I, Alex, how did you like find the sport? Like with how things have changed and maybe not as accessible as it in the past, but like, how did this all go down? How did Max find the wonder child? <laughs> Well, so it started off with me wanting to become an Olympian. I watched the 2010 Olympics. I was six years old and I just, I became obsessed with like ski jumping and aerials and those kind of sports really, I don't know, extreme skiing sports really caught my attention. And my parents for years were like, no, no, no. And then I, my brother and I went to the wind sports summer camp and we're the only ones who are willing to go from the top. And my parents and then Max recruited us because no other kid was brave enough to go except for my brother and I. And so my parents were like, okay, well, we're going to let him do it. We've got to let her do it. And so we both joined and my brother was like a brick. He, now he is like six, one and a goalie in hockey. Like he's not built for ski jumping. Uh, but you know, I fell in love with the sport from the very first jump. Well, and Max, what did you, what did you see in Alex to like, obviously the, <laughs> The, the bravery is the, the first thing we noticed, but how did you know she, she can make it? Gutsy. Like she just, she had it. No fear. Like I, I did that a ton. I, I brought in kids and we have like a development hill uh, at Wins, at Winsport or we had one before they were shut down and any kid on the first day, you'd go from the top. It's like, okay, you're born for this. And <laughs> you ski, ski jumping is like, there's a lot of um, like any sport, there's a body type for it. Right. And she just fit the mold for everything. Like, scrawny which is important which i'm not um <laughs> but no it's, it's a big thing because you're flying right so you know weight drops so but it's it's more you can see it in their eyes the day they start they want to do it they're not scared of it it's amazing and it's like it's no different than skeleton you're going face first at what 130k melissa how fast do you go yeah so every track in the world is different my top speed was 143.8 down. so yeah we're all crazy <laughs> yeah a little nuts for sure well, I remember my very first ski jump and, you know, I was walking up with these giant skis. I was a tiny little kid and they, there's these gates and, you know, you send the kids from the lower gates to start and Max is walking up behind me and I'm like, what, what's that for? And Max is like, don't worry about it. Keep walking. <laughs> and so I just went right to the top. My very first jump. I, I didn't even know that there was another option. And so I just sent it from the first one. Yeah. 
And that's the beauty of of youth and the feeling you're invincible and being naive, right? Like the rodeo world, all those things. Like as you get older, you get a little bit smarter. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit more risk right now. And you could look up Alex Luthi um, 225 and see this epic jump she just had. Was that for you? Was that yesterday or is it still the same day? It was yesterday. yesterday. So she went 225 meters. Phenomenal video. I highly recommend you watch it, but I remember her first jump on what's called a 30 meter hill, uh, which is like the second smallest jump. And I, I was a brutal coach. I, I laughed. I, I know everyone's <laughs> going to crash. So I was like howling, laughing as she went down the ramp, fell well, on her like back, ripping, cartwheel down the hill. It's like ripping. And I still have this video. It's like ripping wind. And you can hear as soon as I leave the bar, Max starts chuckling. He's like, <laughs> and then I come off the ramp and I smack the ground and I just start tumbling and you can hear him losing it. That's a, yeah, that's a good, nice that. supportive coach. Yeah. Yeah. Her, yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, so yes, yes. Jumping when kids are young is get them going down the big hills early and then make them realize the crashes aren't that bad because yeah. you got yeah. up and jumped again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I crashed another four times, but yeah, I got up and did it again. For sure. Holy smokes. Yeah. Well, and, like and you said, yes. Similar idea. Yeah, yeah. The first time, the first time you get bucked off. That was awesome. Right. Um, well, even though, oh. like, even now my philosophy with crashing is still the same as when I was a child. It's like, you have to do it again so you don't become afraid. It's like a redemption shot almost. Get back on if the you horse. can get up, if you can, if you can walk, you can go for at least one more. Yeah. Melissa, did you have any tumbles on the uh, on the track? Yes. Although um, my story was, uh, I was always kind of a little bit safe. And I was good at what I did, but I was always safe. So in 14 years, I'd only had two crashes. And then they built the Whistler track for the 2010 Olympics. And it was deemed the fastest track in the world, the most dangerous track. And us as Canadians were essentially guinea pigs. And, um, (laughs) you know, we were crashing quite a bit. And now I can't count on all my fingers and toes of how many crashes I've had. So that was an interesting um, experience for me at that point, because I'd already won an Olympic medal. I was always very experienced. But now I'm going through what you would typically go through as a new athlete of trying to relearn learn like exactly that like how how do, how do you face your fears and how 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 do you get your confidence back through all that and then I had the expectations of doing well at those home olympics in those games so that was a pretty wild mental emotional ride leading into those 2010 olympics for sure what, what do you do uh, when you was... crash on a skeleton though you know like like you kind of learn to fall doing like when you get bucked off a horse or whatever you kind of learn ways to kind of get yourself out of trouble but it seems like skeleton would just be complete like shit show <laughs> yeah you're you're helpless you're you you lose contact with with the ice and you have all of that speed and the g-forces and that weight and you, you literally just have to go limp you try to hang on to your sled the best that you can um and you get burnt we don't have any protection you're just wearing your skin mm-hmm. suit and so there's not anything that's protects you 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 know our little helmets are are not necessarily protecting our our heads they're more for aerodynamics and really when it comes to the concussion issues it's your brain inside of your skull so like a helmet isn't gonna help a whole lot of that um touching on crashes uh i don't know if you guys remember in the 2010 olympics from the opening ceremonies or the day of the opening ceremonies that was the day in the luge practice that the georgian luger died on corner 16 so that was um that was that was crazy for the entire world in our country and then obviously our sliding sports to be able to overcome that and that energy and 
for me personally, that was the corner where I had the majority of my crashes. I've, I've spent time in the hospital after being, you know, flung off that, that corner there. So that was, that was a major mental hurdle. All our sports psychs were gathering around all of, all of our, our teammates, myself and my teammates, just to try and keep us together and keep us focused on what our job was, was for, for those games, not to focus on, on something so tragic. You know what? I find that really interesting because in ski jumping, it's actually like, you can ask Max, it's, I know this sounds absolutely insane, but it's quite safe because, you know, you're always falling with the speed and we're not really going that fast. We're high, but you know, you're falling with the slope of the hill. You're not falling against it. Like you guys are falling against your speed. We're falling with our speed. And so, you know, most of our injuries tend to be like knee, shoulder, collarbone, things like that, where it's just high impact. And so it tends to be going way too short or way too far that those happen. But, you know, it tends to be injuries that people can come back from. I've watched you guys crash, though. I've watched you guys crash. <laughs> <laughs> Melissa, Melissa you're, you're like you're, you're like in '90s, 2000s. The sport was a little bit different then. It's it's, it's come a long way. I, it's I a lot, it's also very controlled now. Oh, sorry, Ali, go ahead. Well, the equipment's changed, so we're going lower speeds in the same distances, and so they've done that on purpose because when they dropped the speed by increasing the sizes of our suits, everything became safer because even though you are going you know, really far, you're going the same distance with less speed, so it's a lot easier on your body and your joints, and so you know, when they started realizing that that was a possibility for safety and, you know, it makes it more exciting for viewers and safer for the athletes and, you know, it's still fun for us. It's kind of like a win-win situation. Well, speaking of this, yeah. uh, the 225 from just the other day, I found this clip on YouTube. Can you guys all see this right now? Oh, yeah. I can see it. I, I've watched this a hundred times. I'll watch it all day. Okay. So oh, I, God, wanna, I can't I look get... at myself. As... <laughs> I, I nice can't believe though. I can't believe your goggles, like looking at the reflection of your goggles to see this thing. Like this thing looks terrifying. I love my goggles. That that is not a very big ski flying in run though, to be honest with you. Really? It looks like just a regular in run. And then you come over Nolan, you're like, oh, this is not a regular hill. Holy. So tell My yeah, feet's tell pretty choppy. I don't know about you guys. Oh, it probably is on Zoom, I guess. That green line was Allie's to beat line. She went like a hundred meters past it. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, walk us, yeah, walk well, us through it, walk us like, through like, it Alex. Beat. Tell us what's oh, going yeah, through your <laughs> well like when I'm jumping I'm not actually thinking and I I know that that's really hard to like actually do and I've gotten quite good at that but I'm just like feeling everything when I'm there I'm feeling the weight of my body coming through that transition and I'm letting the g-forces preload my jump and so when I come to the end of the takeoff I have terrible depth perception like the worst depth perception ever I have terrible hand-eye coordination but I just, I feel everything and, you know, I feel the weight under my skis and I feel the lift under my skis. And so I have so much control of my body because I'm not thinking I'm feeling. That's I'm glad you touched on that. Sorry, Ted, I'm going to interrupt Go you. Ahead. Because Go ahead. That is why she is the best in the world is because she has trusted her training. And in the moment, if she is thinking when she is coming down that ramp, she's late. Like, and that yeah. is like any any athlete I've ever talked to of any sport they're like okay like what is one thing what is one thing and I'm like that's just it you got to trust your training you know you're not you're not training while you're making a run like whether that's you know the ski jumping me and the yeah. skeleton me on a barrel horse like you when you come up that alley on a barrel horse you're not thinking anymore like you got to trust your training it's the same thing when you're going down the the that ramp it's that's why you are the yeah. best you've figured I that out 
And so part of my routine is that I do not let myself think about what I want to do until I'm going into the control box. So it's kind of like three girls before me. Uh, when the third girl goes, you get to go in to check your suit to make sure it's legal and it meets like the fist parameters. And so once I'm through that control box, I'm allowed to, I zone in and my coach calls it the bubble. So I put myself in this little bubble. I'm not worried about what gate I'm going, how much wind there is, you know, what my teammate's doing, what the person in front of me is doing, what the starter is saying, like none of that. I'm just thinking, okay, this is what I want to do. And sometimes I do get caught up in that. I want to win. I want to win. I want to win. But when I start doing that, I go, okay, but how are you going to win? And so then I'm able to like bring my focus back into that, you know, these are the steps you're going to do. Like, and when I think about what I want to do, I think about the feelings that cause outcomes, not the outcomes. Yes. Yes. It's weird. I, I found this in sport is like, you get to a point where you're, like, I started ski jumping because I love flying. And then you're kind of on the world cup or whatever. And, and you're just, you're doing it as like a process. Do you ever get that? Like you were beaming alley after that. 225 meter jump but i i know sometimes i forgot that i was actually flying i was just like so focused on the technical that you like almost lost the pleasure i don't know i'm just I, curious I what you guys thought about I, once i used to feel that way but once i started thinking and just like feeling everything because it's not just like physical feeling it's like inside it's like an internal feeling too i started like being able to celebrate when i jumped good or you know obviously i have bad jumps still too um but you know I'm able to you know have honest emotions without overreacting and so in both ways because some there are some athletes who tend to very much overreact when they have a good jump and it's like very much a show and not authentic and poor sportsmanlike so it's like you know when I am feeling and I'm feeling the things that you know emotionally and physically then I have genuine reactions to things and I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of the fans tend to like really like me and you know a lot of them send me very nice messages and you know how they like how genuine I am and you know the way that I react after my jumps both good and bad and I think it's because it's very obvious that it's genuine that's hey, your character. yeah it's great Ted, do, you, do you mind pulling up the video of Mackenzie Boyd clothes bronze medal 2022 I want to show that video because <laughs> it, it's the coolest reaction to an Olympic medal win I've ever seen in my life I remember. Oh, yeah, that was funny. He didn't react at all. Like he didn't even fist bump. Yeah, like he just won the Olympic medal. Just like, yeah, it's Mackenzie. No, but what happened was like also we're like me, Suka, Abby, we're jumping up and down, screaming. We're going, "What the fuck is happening? Holy shit!" And Mackenzie's like, "Guys, guys, guys, can I take my skis off?" Like, is that what he's saying yeah oh my god and then and then he like came in for the group hug but you know there was there was a moment in Beijing and I didn't notice it because obviously it was I wasn't able to see this but if, if you look at the replay of the medal ceremony you can see where we're all holding hands after we've gotten our medals and Mackenzie standing at the end of the line because he was like the finisher for our team and you know it was the other three of us. This was our first Olympics. We're all rookies. And then this is McKinsey's fourth Olympics, right? And so he, like, looks down at the line, and he just has, like, a proud big brother moment, like, holding all of our hands. And it was just, <laughs> it was just so good. Oh, I, I don't think you understand. Like, And, Melissa, you grew up kind of with me, 90s and 2000s at Windsport. Like, we were a joke, ski jumping. Like, like, what are those guys doing up there? 
like until a year ago ski jumping was still a joke i hope you know that <laughs> oh no it was it, it absolutely was and it's like i lived it I, I i did the sport i competed i coached and i'm currently on the on the board and it's like no one took it seriously it was it was funny and then like boom olympic medal like that was like yeah. for like guys like ted boffia and gregor Lindzig and jason slicky and myself like watching that was like surreal like like we it thought was, it would never happen it was but for me as an athlete like in another sport you guys trained just as hard as what we did you guys invested the time just as hard as what we did and you know within our bubble essentially of all of the amateur sport in canada everybody had the respect for you for all of your work ethic and investment that you had so you say a joke but we we never but, looked at you guys like that. I, I, I never. I, so you're a peer of mine. I, I didn't mean that like directly to you because like we always go. I, I just meant like the general, you know, coming from yeah, public, yeah. right? It was just okay. yeah. Well, yes, that's yes. That, also, that's what I meant. I didn't. That wasn't I directly. Think, to you. Okay, yeah. okay. I just wanted I think, to let you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> For us, though, I think the reason why our team is now suddenly so strong is not just that like we finally have support, and you know, it started with coaches who like you know, were living at home and weren't having to travel away from season so that, you know, they had more resources and access to help us. That was one of the pieces. But the next piece was that we honestly love this sport so much. We were willing to pay for it ourselves. Like some of the other girls were paying for university and their own sport and, you know, all these things just to be ski jumping. And, you know, I moved away from home at 14 and they also started living in Europe around the same time. And, you know, I I'm dating an Austrian ski jumper and he's like, I cannot believe how much you girls love this sport. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Of course we love it. Like, don't you? And he's like, well, yeah, but none of like, he is from the most successful team and his teammate is one of the most successful, not just ski jumpers, but Austrian athletes at all times. And he's current like men's world record holder. And he was like, I don't even think he loves the sport the way you girls do. And I think that that passion we have and how much like we love the sport genuinely is why we're starting to succeed now is because once we finally had that resources, we have the passion, you know, I, I can't believe that you are from Calgary and we literally have COP down the road from your house and you can't, you have to go to Europe to do this. Like that, that just seems yeah. unbelievable to me. And you got, you brought up right off the bat max but it seems like total bullshit like what the hell <laughs> it definitely is but in 1988 know, and- when sport was given a hundred million dollars to carry on the legacy of the amateur sports and i mean that was a long time ago they did a good job like we're talking 88 was 35 years ago um i think the sliding stuff melissa am i correct they're, they're still active right no they blew the track up in calgary yeah, oh, what are you talking cool. about? Yep, yeah, the track, the okay. track um, from corner four up. I don't know if some of it is still there, and that like nobody even knew about it. That was as soon as they couldn't um, well, upgrade the refrigeration plant. Be- go on, you're gonna be able to tell more of the what happened <laughs> with that money. No, but this is cool. I'm so glad you're here, Melissa. Cause it's like it's one thing about Canadian athletes; it's unique. Like we're not from Central Europe. Like I competed against guys who their full time job was to train and compete. And it's like, Allie, to your point, I work in oil and gas. I do a sales job for a company called H2 Safety, Fire ARPs. That's my same shameless plug. Um, uh, Natalie Eilers, <laughs> she, she serves Sorry. me at, at freaking at Earl's as well. Yeah. It's like she's working downtown and, and competing internationally. Yeah. You have to do that. 
my my teammate she has to work as a bartender to make it through her season and you know I have another teammate who works in like data analysis or something like that so she can do it overseas and you know Abby and I now uh after the Olympic medal have received individual funding but that's two athletes out of four that are being funded and being supported and look at where the divide in the team is. It's the two athletes who are being supported and funding that are currently the highest ranked. You know, it's not a coincidence. It's no hundred percent. It's, it's disappointing to see, but you know, I think after the season that Abby and I have had, it's not just going to be more money brought in for us, but we're hoping that, you know, we'll be able to have more funding allocated towards the whole team because honestly, what makes me really sad uh, is that people don't see how far the rest of our team has come. They just see, you know, me on the podium they see me winning events they see me setting records but they don't even acknowledge that my teammates who have come much further than I have it's much harder to go from dead last to into the top 30 than it is to go from 20th to first it's a much closer gap between 20th and first than 60th and 30th right like it is so much harder that first step and I think they've done such a good job and they've gotten no recognition for it and it's kind of sad to see because it's hard when you put in so much work and you've improved so much but no one cares because there's someone else doing something more yeah that bubble life I know all about it because that's where I lived was you know between 50th and 30th in the world cups (laughs) yeah right and so you know what they are steadily improving but it's been Abby and I who've gotten the support. It's always been like, not from necessarily coaches, but more from funding perspectives. Like I, I got grants and Abby got grants and, you know, we were getting these things that the other two girls weren't. And it didn't create a split in our team, but it allowed Abby and I to progress quicker. And, you know, it's a little bit unfair. Like, obviously we didn't choose to get chosen, but you can see that there's a divide in the team. Melissa, what was your experience in this same capacity? Yeah, it's, you know, very similar. Um, so I started when I was 15 and um, it was right when women actually had their own world starting to get their own world cup. We used to actually race with the men. I didn't have that experience, but like the year before me. Um, So Salt Lake was the first Olympics where women's skeleton was an Olympic sport. And with me being so young at the age of 16, I had to, I had to go door knocking. I essentially had to sell myself to sponsors. I had to pay for my own flight, my portion into the rental car in Europe, my uh, race fees, all of that. Like I learned how to grow up pretty quick. And also like nobody knew what skeleton was back then. So like, I don't know how I did it to like get these people on my side but it it eventually happened and it sort of the same as you Allie um where I I set myself apart with that that funding um one of my best stories is I I didn't make the 2002 Olympics I had a world championship medal in the year 2000 it was a lot of hype going into the Salt Lake City Olympics of me being a part of that Three weeks from the opening ceremonies, we had a race off. I had a teammate and one of my best friends at the time, a rookie came onto the team. She had an outstanding season and she beat me. And so I like, I went from like being 
top of the world to crashing like myself personally, right? Devastation. And um, a couple of years later, the sports center, they always had fundraisers, one being golf with an Olympian. I don't know if they still do that, but it was a, a fundraiser for all the amateur athletes for different services. And they asked me to come and be a part of it. So, you know, a company will purchase a team and you golf with four other members for the day. And and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't think I should be there because, you know, I didn't go to the Olympics. This is golf with an Olympian. And they're like, no, 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 you're training for 2006 in Italy. We believe in you. You got to come. I'm like, okay. So I show up and I don't golf at this time. You got to remember, I'm like, I don't know, 22 or 23 years. <laughs> that's it. And, and the first question I get, I'm with all these oil guys from downtown Calgary. They're like, oh, which Olympics did you go to? And I'm like, I didn't. <laughs> and they're like, oh, great. We spent five grand and we got a dud. <laughs> and, like, oh, no. and so, and also I don't golf. We get to the first hole. So I'm trying really hard for make small talk. And, and the first hole we get to is a hole in one. And if you, if you win, like get a hole in one, you win the car. So I'm asking, well, how many holes in ones have y'all gotten? So they're like, great. We've got, we didn't get an Olympian. We have a dud and she's stupid. Like she doesn't know anything we're going to spend all day with her. <laughs> we get to the next hole in one opportunity and you win $10,000 and I hit the ball. I hit the back of the cup and it bounced out. And we're like, oh my God. And then the guy who purchased the team hit the ball, sunk it. And he won the $10,000. So the oh, guy man. I had been golfing with all day was like, you got to give that money to Melissa. We got to get her to the Olympics in 2006. And uh, he was like, no, I'm out of here. Hungry athletes everywhere. He went and bought his wife a necklace, I'm sure. And I kind of scrounged up the courage to to ask this guy who was Paul Bay was, was his name. And he owned a company called True Energy Trust at the time. So I asked him for his card. I thought, well, you know, maybe we can strike up some kind of a sponsorship conversation. He didn't have a card. I give him my card and I'm thinking his wife's going to wash his shorts and never hear from him again. And to my, so were those, those free cards that we get at the university back in the day? Yes. Yes. And and so hotmails on them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is back in like 2004. So his secretary contacted me on the Monday, drafted up a contract. He bought me a new sled. He gave me sponsorship money for the next couple of years. I went from eighth in the world to first in the world and winning an Olympic medal. He put my entire family up in Italy to come and watch. He came and watched. It was, he said it was the cheapest investment that he did for his company morale because every weekend when they were watching me in Europe and I was on the podium or, you know, whatever it was, it just, it brought his entire team together and they had something to talk about and they felt like they were a part of that journey. And and it, it really was like, mini school in the in the finance department for him and what it did for their morale was out of this world and so unique so it's it's and I you, you skeleton people have always had flair because your your medal one is iconic with the cowboy hat yeah. like all I was there live um I was rooting on and then John Montgomery with the with the beer chug um yeah <laughs> You guys win medals. We always, you, uh, you we always joked that we like lived in the golden, like the glory golden years. Like we were so fortunate, like for that to happen, and then the lead up into Vancouver 2010, where we did live like rock star type lives. And thank God, John kind of saved our our butts there after my mishap and and skeleton yeah. kind of. Well, because you were you were the year that that uh, Jeff Payne was silver and yeah. uh, Duff Gibson won, right? Yeah, in Italy yeah. in 2006. So we won three Olympic medals in Italy. And then in Vancouver, I, I was sitting in the silver medal position and made the mistake, dropped a fifth, but John was right after me and he ended up winning the gold. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that was, 
Vancouver. That, that was a blur. I actually, I had moved out of competing. I was actually coaching in Vancouver, uh, chasing the slicky. That was, that was a fun Olympics. <laughs> fun is you, never, you never have any fun, Max. Yeah. No, never. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to ask, uh, Alex, how crappy was going to the Olympics in, during COVID and in, in mm. How much that would be not much fun. I would, I'm assuming like it's still well, Olympics that would be awesome, but it would first of all, the Olympics is always exciting. fun. So, okay, okay, to be honest, how would I know anything different? This is my first Olympics, like I okay. have no other experience, you know, I don't know what I'm missing out on, so I've got to go to another one, you know, I got to make up for it. Um, but it was there was some weird, it had some weird quirks for sure. Like, uh, like I said, I'm dating an Austrian, and so he was also there, and we got in trouble multiple times for walking outside together, and we had, I was wearing all Canada gear, and he was wearing all Austria gear, and they're like, you guys can't be within whatever, two meters of each other, and we're like, we're just walking outside. <laughs> like, it Don't was crazy. Don't have an Austrian. I know, I'm, I'm a traitor. Yeah. That's what happens what when you got to move to Europe to train for your own sport, I guess. Yeah, and I actually didn't meet him in Europe, even. I was we met at a competition in Russia, <laughs> but yeah. What's it like being in Russia right now? Pardon? What's it like being in Russia right now? I don't know. I'm not in Russia right now. Like, when, I'm not... <laughs> when were you there last? She's <laughs> like... in Finland. It's like 200 kilometers away. <laughs> um, oh, when was I last there? It was before like the Olympics. It was like, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna like share a story. December twenty twenty one. Okay. And um yeah, I've been to Russia three times, all within like eight months of each other or something like that. So my first World Cup was in Russia and that's where I met my boyfriend. And then I scored my first World Cup points the next Russia trip. And then I went one more time after that, uh, in the lead up to Beijing. Max, you had a story you gotta put in there. <laughs> this is a good story. Oh, this is the this is Russia. Remember this one? Yeah, oh, this is this is Russia. Russia 20, so I went to Russia in 2013 coaching, 14. and we all got given like an attaché, like a host to like take care of us. And I got this gorgeous 20 year old Russian girl, Masha Kirsinova. Um, awesome person, like so nice. She treated me well, uh, showed me everything. And then I, in 2014 for the Olympics, um, I I, I kind of quit my coaching job. And I was transitioning to like the new job I have now in, in energy, uh, doing emergency management. And I show up and I Instagram Masha and she's like, I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm the special assistant for an IOC board member. I'm like, what? Like, there's like 12 IOC board members that are like billionaire freaking like guys. And I'm like, what's your gig? She's like, I'm 24 hours on call with him. And then 24 hours like uh, off. And she had, and I think Ali and Melissa can speak to this accreditation at the olympics is everything she had an infinity pass it was just something you put over your lanyard and it had the infinity symbol you get into anything any venue at any time canada usa were playing in the semifinals at the 2014 olympics and masha sends me a text she's like i'm off today max you should go to the game i'm going to give you my pass i'm like oh my god you, you got to be kidding me so she gives me her infinity accreditation i've been lucky in my life i i, I was i saw the golden goal live in 2010 and I watched Canada get knocked out of the Sochi Olympics in the quarterfinals with Walter Gretzky. I watched it with Walter. It was crazy. So I'm like, hey, I'm on a roll of Olympic uh, games here. So let's go. I walk in and I have no clue what I'm in for. I'm just like, show my pass and like, take a left, take a right, like go this way. And then Becky Scott is at the door. 
And she was an elected, she's an athlete representative for the uh, IOC board. And, and Becky and I, like, we know each other, but I wouldn't say we're friends. And kind of that Nordic combined ski jumping, cross country skier kind of thing. She was like, Max, what, what are you doing here? I'm like, I'm going to the game. She's like, you have no business being here. She's like, Putin's behind you. I turn my head, Putin's behind me. I'm like, oh shit. I'm sneaking into a game in Putin's box. And it's, I'm like, Becky, don't ruin this for me. I just like head down, went in. And there was like, we were at the center ice box. There was gray goose coming out of a glass mountain. There was caviar, like this wild spread. And then I'm like, I'm with Vladimir Putin. I sat, I did not enjoy that game. I snuck, <laughs> I snuck into Vladimir Putin's box in 2014. And I, 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 regret going i did i don't even know what the score was <laughs> of that game i just got the hell out of there the second i did oh man so you did you get you watched the whole game but you just were fretting the whole time that you're gonna get murdered by oh, terrified Russian terrified people? yeah oh my yeah. god you, you wrong move. need to say you drank vodka yeah, and <laughs> sweet that's badass yeah, yeah. could you imagine uh, was, if you just gnarly. got loaded with him and just had this crazy story about partying with Putin? <laughs> he's just a sweet no dude. i avoided like, him. Like, yeah oh you avoid him? that guy that guy has an aura he actually walked into the canadian olympic house in 2014 i melissa's nodding like she was there um i was hanging out with babcock just having beers at the bar and putin walked in and it was like you could feel his presence it's like the the temperature change in the room it was it was nuts yeah, like the I Darth Vader Imperial March starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, What's your story, Melissa? You said you had yeah. something there. Yeah. Oh well, I, I if we're talking Russia story, I don't know if my stories are really that exciting. Other than that, um, I feel like for those games, what they did is they just put a bunch of chain link fence up and banners and just you know, didn't show who they really were because obviously we've been there for World Cups and for training and we know what it's truly like there. It's scary <laughs> to say the least. Um, in the Olympic Village, my one story there was uh, myself and, and one of my teammates, we shared a room and our house cleaner was like overly friendly, overly friendly. She would come in and she would talk to us all the time. She'd make our beds. But every time we would come back, something would be out of place. Like, you know, our, you know, my, my training gear, whatever things, things would be moved around. And I had gone down to the women's uh, hockey gold medal game. I watched that live. And by the time you get on the bus back up to the mountain, it's a couple hours later, like it's late, like maybe one in the morning by the time I go to bed. And I, I remember I had a, a gold watch I put up on the shelf in the bathroom, got ready for bed, go to sleep. And at 10 o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock in the morning, she knocks on the door to come in. And I was like, no, 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 it's okay. I'm still sleeping. Cause this is a post race, right? Like this is, we're now just fans essentially going and watching different events. And I get up and my watch is gone. And I'm like, what the heck? I just took that off. What's going on? And I then I started looking and I realized, cause you get a bunch of sponsored gear, like not just your, your kit of your gear, like the jackets and that, yeah, the nice Lululemon there. <laughs> um, like you get a Samsung phone, you get a bunch of just like stuff, right? Goodies. Yeah. And, and I never touched any of it. I just kind of stored it away and got looking and it was all gone. And so got talking with some of the other athletes and coaches that were on our floor and they got looking and yeah, they had like colognes, prescription meds, Olympic garb, things, things that you wouldn't notice that would be gone. Cause like they noticed, okay, so we know every time she comes in and out, she knows that my training bag, I, I move that around, but she noticed that that one Samsung bag never moved. So I probably wouldn't notice if that was gone. So I went to like our, our manager on that floor and said, okay, I know what happened at 
at this time because that door knocked at this time and that watch was gone. Here's a picture of the watch. And they found her and they got it all back. And and then they said she probably, who knows what happened to her. And they were serious about it. They were serious about it. It's not just like a slap (laughs) wrist for her. It's probably she, yeah, we don't know where she's at. She might not be alive right Exactly. I I just thought I would like, you know, make it sound like that, but yeah. I mean, we had some strange experiences, but nothing like that. Like, um, well, one of our coaches tested positive at the games. uh, And so he was locked away. Uh, He got put in a single room and they just slide food under his door twice a day. And during the middle of that, I think it was his room, the toilet like exploded. It was just like water was leaking everywhere and they wouldn't come in to fix it and it was just like absolute chaos and like you know they had these weird booths where you had to walk through like it was like almost like a customs deck but it was for covid tests and you know it was just bizarre things like that and they had these little robots that would go around the village and they were spraying sanitizer everywhere it was just like wow. everything was covered in like this like powdery sanitizer dust it was awful wow I was always jealous of you skeleton people, Melissa, because in Nordic Combined, we always had a competition on the first and last day, so we couldn't really enjoy what was going on. <laughs> like ski jumpers. And I, I mean, I never made opening ceremonies because we we always had a competition day one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well and- we were always like day between six and eight, so we weren't like the losers where they were days one and two, and then they like use their jacket yeah. every night they were out partying <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so we got a we got a good balance of everything of where it was like we could do the opening ceremonies and not be too exhausted, and then have some fun afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what were yeah, some of the sports you like to watch, Melissa? And I guess Alex too. Aside from aside from like your own stuff, like did you watch a lot of hockey, curling? What was it? What was it? I was not allowed to do anything. We were allowed. Oh, I guess yeah. Beijing you probably would have been locked in. We watched. We sat in the athlete center because we were allowed to interact with our own team members. So you could only interact with other Canadians. And so they had this big like viewing room set up, and it had like an Xbox and a PS5 and a coffee maker and whatever. And so we'd all hang out in this room and just watch whatever was on. And it was like literally all anyone did was just sit in this giant room and watched whatever Mm. sport was on. That's sad. And like we also, Max and I, and we also had like those common rooms, but we were very fortunate that we got to go live and watch different events. You just put your name in and they would give you a ticket for it. And um, I think, you know, which one was actually one of my favorites was in Sochi in 2014. I went and watched biathlon and I love a good sport. I loved it. I love the, um, like being there live. Cause I've, you know, seen it on TV, but I'd never seen it live. And it was, it was awesome. Like they had great like atmosphere and it was exciting. And I, I had no idea, but I, I really enjoyed that. And yes, I've been to like, hey, you're skiing the- around with a gun. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I like watching biathlon and I like when the crowd cheers and it's like, everyone stops so they can shoot again. And it's like, everyone cheers when they hit it and then it stops again. And then they cheer when they hit the mark. And it's, it's a lot of fun actually. Yeah. Yeah. And the ski cross, snowboard cross, those are pretty good parties too when you go watch those. Yeah. You know what? The the coolest thing I ever experienced at the Olympics, and this like kind of defines the spirit of the Canadian team. Um, Alexander Bilodeau won a gold medal in Moguls, uh, I think on the first day of the 2010 Olympics. And I I was standing, I was staying in Whistler, but I had to go do some paperwork in, uh, in Vancouver. And it was like a condo complex. 
um, where the athlete village was. And then the elevator comes down and Mike Bob, Mike, um, Babcock, yeah. He he comes out of the elevator and he's with Chris Pronger and Jerome McGinley and Sidney Crosby. And there's a gal, she works for the Oilers now, actually, because she met Peter Torelli at the Olympics and he hired her to work for the Oilers. But she goes to the, she goes up to Jerome McGinley and is like, hey, Bilodeau just won a gold medal. Uh, He's five minutes away. Would you guys mind like waiting here and giving him like a round of applause when he shows up? And he's like, yeah, for sure. And Crosby's on board and they all hang out. And then something happened. It was like super postponed. It was like 40 minutes. And then Babcock is actually going, he's like, hey, guys, we're going to wait. It's a practice. We're playing Latvia tomorrow. It doesn't matter. Um, and they waited for like, it was it ended up being like almost an hour. Alexander Bielodeau shows up and the entire men's Olympic hockey team, which is just like Crosby, Iggy, Pronger, like, like an insane lineup, but just gave him a round of applause. And he just started crying on the spot. And they all gave him a hug and a high five. I'm like, Holy shit. Like that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen. And I was just like, I was a nobody just kind of in the background. I'm like, this is sweet. So, well, I had I had an experience like that, but it wasn't uh, a hockey team because we weren't in the same village as them. But, you know, it was me and Sukup. We walk in after getting our medals and we're like all happy. And, you know, Mikhail Kingsbury like comes up to us. He's like, you know what you guys need to do? And Sukup and you're like, you know who we are? Like, oh, my God. And he's like, you guys need <laughs> to get some socks. And we're like, get some socks? He's like, yeah, you need socks for your medal. He's like, get socks for the medal. And we're like, okay. And it's just like total, like, we're like, holy crap. And he's like, yeah. And they had like made a big poster for us because they were leaving as we were coming back. And it was like, they did a big celebration for us. And it was really cool. You know? So do you keep, I still do don't you get where the socks fit in. I do. I have a Superman sock that I keep my medal in. <laughs> I keep mine in a Royal Crown whiskey bag. That's even better. <laughs> whiskey. <laughs> Oh man! How did you so, end up putting your medal in that? What's that? How it's like that purple bag that comes with Crown Royal. It was soft in velvet, and I don't, I don't even know, I don't know how I got it because I don't drink whiskey. And I was like, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so where where are the medals? Like uh, Melissa, yours is probably back home when you're away, and same thing with you, Alex. Like they they would stay at home on a no, top mine, fireplace. Mine's or? Uh, mine's in my apartment in Slovenia. Okay. So. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, mine's at home. I don't have it um, mounted or anything. Like I've, I spent, you know, pretty much from the day that I won it out speaking. So it's hilarious. Like when yeah. you get my medal compared to some other medals, like that are pristine mine, like it has, I went into like a grade two class about what I guess it'd be a month afterwards. And they had, it was on St. Patty's day and they had green icing cupcakes and they're all like <laughs> eating their cupcakes and touching my metal. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's, it's just, I've been in lots of parades on horses. Like it's beat up, like hitting saddle horns and it's, it's not in good shape at all. But I think that just shows it's been in that many hands and well, maybe the impact it has on somebody down the line in the future. I think that's cooler. Yeah. yeah, that's the same that's philosophy awesome. I have with mine where it's like, I don't want to hide it away. I don't want to keep it in a safe. It's like, you know, especially mine was a team medal, right? It's like something that was a collective effort. It wasn't just, you know, one person, one moment, you know, it was a whole bunch of people and a whole team behind that team of people, right? And so it's like, also, and I think about like the impact, like having moments like that, because I like went to things like the Fast and Female events and you know those things, right? Where 
you know, how much of an impact those had for me as a young athlete. I want to do the same for others. And, you know, I do a lot of speaking with Indigenous schools and um, young girls. Those are kind of the two things I'm really passionate about. And I always let them hold the medal and, you know, that sort of thing, because even if their goals aren't sport related, they it's like a very understandable goal and very understandable level of success. And, you know, it's inspirational no matter what your passion is. Yeah, absolutely. You can draw the parallels no matter what, uh, what field of work you're in. Yeah, exactly. Um, how, how did things change for you guys after winning your medals? Like with like the pressure, the Alex, you were talking to it before we started recording here, like people recognize who you are now, like how, how much has that impacted way you're going to approach your next steps and less how much did it change for you? Nothing really changed that much for me uh, with my Olympic medal, just because in ski jumping, it's very European dominated versus like uh, other sports. I don't know about yours, but I think you're also in the same situation where it's more European media, more European attention. And in Europe, the Olympics are less valued than they are in North America. So, you know, my world championship win had gotten much, much, much more recognition for me than uh, the Olympic medal. And part of that might be, uh, you know, as an individual, and I was already starting to show some really good results going into that event. But, you know, I I think that since it's weighted less, it's more about consistency for the audience that's watching ski jumping. I started getting recognized. And I'm pretty sure if I went home and I said my name to someone, they would be like, okay, cool. What do you do? <laughs> Oh, not the sport. It's funny you mentioned that, Allie, with the with the world championships, because I remember in Sochi, uh, every Russian I ran into was bragging about how Russia won the hockey world championships. And I'm like, that wasn't even on TV in Canada. Like, we don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but that, like, that world, world championships. Such... Yeah, I could say to a, a Canadian, like, oh, yeah, I'm world champion in ski jumping. And they'd be like, cool, but how did you do at the Olympics? And I'd be like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was disqualified. So, you know. <laughs> yeah um my story I would say is different just because of the timing like I won I won mine in 2006 and that's kind of like where people weren't really sure what the sport was but yes in Canada that was back in the time where everybody gathered around to watch the Olympic Games for one like it was something that was exciting because you know we would go to the Olympic Games and maybe come home with only a couple medals and our team did so well in in Italy in 2006 as a whole um and then we were hosting 2010 so we were uh, in the goal, like the, the hosting broadcast rights had changed from CBC to CTV. And their goal was to bring these names of these athletes and be household names so that people understood that. And they did a very good job with the media and um, amateur sport and getting to know who we were as people and as athletes and having get, getting Canadians to follow us from 2006 to 2010. So I would say my, my life uh, changed huge, hugely after winning that medal, just, just with opportunities, um, you know, financially and, and really, really financially. Yeah. How, how important is it for the Olympics to come back to Canada at some point? We're one of the few nations in the world that could do it. Um, the Calgary bid, Melissa, you talked about, uh, that being something you worked on, but how important is it for that to come back to Canada? Like that it's, it's got to come back here at some point, but like the Calgary, it's kind of disappointing that the Calgary mayor at the time wasn't behind it. So, you yeah. know, well, what's got to happen though? 
it's really important, uh, you know, not just for ski jumping, but, you know, because when you have facilities like that and huge events where kids like me, that's how I got into sport. And that's how my Olympic dream started was having a home Olympics. You generate like a whole new wave of kids at the grassroots level. So it's like a whole new generation of kids wanting to do all all sport across all sports. You know, it's not just one sport. Yeah, I I told I totally agree. Like Calgary was like a hub for North America of not just Canadian athletes to come and train there, like American athletes, because for us, mm -hmm. we had the ice house. That's an indoor push facility. So we had Americans living there year round training and um, the small nations, Australia, Japan, like they would come and live in Calgary and, and same with the speed skating world, right? Like where all the small nations, they would come and they would uh, train at the Olympic Oval. Um, I think Calgary's now lost out on that because the amount of money that it would take to get those facilities up and running I, I don't know but Vancouver definitely has a shot and the more that they're talking about trying to reuse these facilities in these Olympic host cities I, I think that would be that would be great and it would probably take um a lot of I don't know some some of the scandals the money scandals out of it because it seems like it's been such a money game since Sochi really I feel like mm -hmm. of like which city gets the Olympic bid and how they're doing things so um it it, it would be that would be amazing if Vancouver would get that that opportunity again and, well, and for all of our up-and-coming athletes and I also think that Vancouver would be a really good opportunity because the board leading the bid is Indigenous-led so the Indigenous people of the area have a say in this and that was kind of one of the issues they had with the 2010 games is that they felt like they didn't have enough of a voice and so you know by having them involved in the decision making you know not only is it a good opportunity for the Indigenous people in the area but it's a good opportunity to show you know, indigenous culture and values and traditions to the entire world, because oftentimes when you hear a North American indigenous person, they all get grouped into one, you know, very confining, very stereotypical, you know, idea. And so oftentimes I have explained this and I've had so many conversations about this. My dad's side of the family is indigenous uh, from like way, way, way far north. So it's the most northern group of Native Americans. And so it's like where the Inuit meet Native Americans, right? It's called the Gwich'in and so the caribou people. And I have, it's very hard for Europeans to comprehend that there are so many different groups of indigenous people and it's not just like one type of person. And, you know, it's like a whole group of people and a whole different, you know, many cultures spanning all across North America. And so I think it's a good opportunity for the world to see that it's not just one group of people. Allie, I actually, uh, sorry, I, at the start, we had a scrambly start, but I actually meant to do a Treaty 7 territory land acknowledgement before we started this call, uh, most of us being in southern Alberta. So I just want to say in the spirit of uh, reconciliation, we acknowledge that we live, work, and play on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Susina, and the Lacs Lakota Nations, the Métis Nation Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of southern Alberta. So um, meant to do that at the start, but thanks for the reminder. You're welcome. <laughs> Well, I, and yeah. I think I think from I think from a fan standpoint, it would kind of help rejuvenate it on like on having Olympics in Canada. I know for like myself personally, like I I'm not I haven't never been I haven't been in, as invested in the Olympics since they were in Vancouver. Like you know, like having that yeah. what CTV did, like bringing the people with household names. I think it could really like kind of inspire a new generation of fan as well, right? Mm -hmm. I agree, and you know, also in a way, it's different cheering for an athlete from your own 
country because you feel connected with them and you feel a sense of pride for them even if it's like you know some superstar athlete or someone who's a really great person and a really great athlete you know it's not the same as cheering for someone from your own nation or your own hometown Allie who was it for you who was your I mean you watched 2010 who was your Mackenzie no Max Max Thompson (laughs) really it was Mackenzie yeah and so uh I don't know I He's the only one I remember, but also at that point, I'd become obsessed with ski jumping. And I don't know, I I really liked Mackenzie and I liked how he jumped. And, you know, now him and I won an Olympic medal together and we have the two furthest jumps out of any Canadians ever. And it's kind of, it's really cool. It's become like a, I feel like his little sister sometimes. And so, you know, Mac and I, we had a really good talk in Lillehammer right before the first ever women's ski flying event. And, you know, I was a little bit, I wasn't scared to jump, but there was so much pressure on me to perform because of the results I've been having, especially on the large hills, which is the closest thing to ski flying. And, you know, all this pressure for women to jump over 200 meters. And, you know, a lot of people were saying that they didn't think anyone would be able to break the 200 mark, which is quite far to begin with. But, you know, and I wasn't sure what to expect. And, you know, when everyone's coming up to you and like, oh, you'll be fine. Like, don't worry. And it's like, I wasn't worried until, you know, everyone's like, oh, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. You're not going to crash. It's like, it kind of gets to you. And so Mackenzie and I had a talk and he was like, yeah, like, I think you just like, it's just a big ski jump. And, you know, he gave me a little pep talk going into it. And, you know, after that I was, I was ready and he gave me some advice on how, you know, the little quirks of that hill. And, you know, my first jump, I almost went 200 meters. And so I, it was kind of a, a good moment, a good team moment. And, yeah, we have uh, we have about a half of our audience at times is in the U.S. So for those American folks listening, 225 meters is 738 feet. It's uh, I can't even it's also 246 yards. So I just I can't even hardly fathom what that's like. But I, I got to go it's back to a quarter of a kilometer. I don't know what that is in miles, but <laughs> let's look it up. Uh, 225 <laughs> meters is uh. Uh, we got uh, Melissa going 150 kilometers an hour, which is like 110 <laughs> miles an hour down a track. 90, like closer to 90 miles yeah. an hour. Yeah, yeah, Alex flying a quarter of a my kilometer speed, through the air. Yeah, yeah 13. My uh, speed was uh, low, so, you know. That's what, what is your, What is your speed going down, like flying down? Ski there? flying, it was my top speed was 102.1 kilometers an hour. So it's not that oh, fast. Uh, regular jumping is about You're speeding them my way. Yeah. <laughs> so my, the, my average... the, the better you are at ski jumping the slower you're actually going it's uh yeah, most people don't so... realize that so. yeah um i i tried to during world championships we don't have enough people for a mixed team so in a mixed team there's two guys and two girls and group one is girls and they go from a women's gate group two is guys they go from a guy's gate group three is girls they go from a girl's gate gate four or group four is guys and they go from a guy's gate and so we have four girls and one guy. And I was like, let me jump from the men's gate. Like, come on. And like, my coach was like, we can ask, but you know, we'll see what happens. And, you know, no one would let me jump from a men's gate. And uh, one of my jumps in Oslo in Norway, I accidentally touched the outside of the tracks. And so I was going slower than the men and I still out jumped a decent amount of them. And I was pretty proud of myself. You know, I didn't go far, but you know, it was kind of like a good, like, yeah. You know, see what I can do. <laughs> oh man, I got I got two quick ones here. So so Max, what was your furthest jump? I don't want to talk about it with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we don't. I, I went like one forty eight in Ruka, Finland, just like twenty years ago, something like that. 
148 meters. Adjust how, how what would that adjust to for inflation today, Max? <laughs> yeah. Be like 300. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the other yeah. the other thing I wanted to get to was uh um we talked early on about the mental state and on the bull riding side of things, the when it went the best for me riding was when I had that clear mind, but my problem was I didn't know how to get there every time. So what what are you doing to get in the mental? What what did you both do to get in that mental state where you weren't thinking and like it's almost a meditative kind of state or there's there's something to it, but I did not know how to get there every time. And I wish I would have because maybe I wouldn't have been maybe I would have been better. I would have had a longer career, but that was my biggest problem is not knowing how to get there every time. And I would still like to <laughs> learn how to do this because it's I think it would help a lot of things every day, honestly. Oh, yeah. Uh, honestly, for me, it's about feeling everything and, you know, letting myself feel emotions. And it's accepting that, you know, well, I could absolutely tip in and smash my face on the ground at 50 meters or I could set a new world record. Right. Like it's something my sports psychologist calls the two truths. Right. You could get what you want or you could get what you don't want. But when you're able to accept either outcome, you're not focusing on, you know, what could happen. Oh, maybe. What if? you know, I want it, it becomes just, I'm going to do my sport and I'm going to just focus on this and I'm going to feel all these things and I'm just going to do it. And I've become known as the queen of redemptions. I'll, I'll absolutely shit the bed and have a terrible jump. And, you know, I'll come back and win the next round and move up 10 places, or I'll like shank out a second round and finish in 23rd when I'm normally kind of top 10 top five and then I'll come back the next day and finish on the podium or at world championships my issue tends to be I'm too excited and so I get a little bit too rowdy and I push on my skis a little bit too much and I'm a little too aggressive and anyways I will uh you know I went I finished in 26th my worst result all season in world championships I was favorite to win and going into the big hill, there was a lot of pressure because, you know, it was my last shot. I don't have a team that is at a level where we could all, you know, medal. So it was my last shot for a medal for world championships. It was my last shot to get, you know, two golds in one year, right? That was one of my big goals for the season. And I remember six months ago sitting in a physio office with a broken foot. And I was like, I'm going to be the first female athlete ever to win junior and senior world championships in one year. My physio is looking at my broken foot like, yeah, not, not a chance. And, you know, when I'm able to feel that pressure, it feels like I'm almost pushing it down the hill and it feels like I'm channeling this pressure down the hill and I feel like I can like ride on it almost. It's, it's a weird feeling, but it's the best feeling. Yes. I want to get back, back here, but I gotta, I gotta ask a follow-up here now because where, where was, where did you learn that Alex? Uh, Like this is, you mentioned a sports psychologist, but this is, that's probably part of the process, but I, I just want to drill down for, uh, further on that. Well, part of the thing is my sports psychologist, she does not sugarcoat anything for me. If I'm doing something stupid or, you know, I'm being too hard on myself, I'm overworking myself, she'll just say it straight up. Or if I've had a bad result, she just says it. And, you know, having someone who is there in your support system who doesn't sugarcoat things and who just says things straight up the way they are, it helped me learn to accept my failures and take them as lessons, not as failures. And so once I started to do that, I became like really good at channeling the pressure into the right place. And instead of, you know, I want to, you know, have this result. I want to go this far. I want to have this judges score. It became, okay, I'm just putting all of this into my jump. It's going to be my power. It's going to be my drive. And 
then I really started to thrive when I was able to do that. And I also say that I have Swiss cheese brain. I've got all these thoughts, like holes in the Swiss cheese. I've got all these thoughts, but when you add a little bit of pressure, all the holes are gone. Interesting. I like yeah. It. yeah. Um, well, first off, muscle memory, you you have to do it, right? You can't just think like, oh, okay, I'm, I want to go be this Olympian, Olympic champion and never gone down. Like if we're talking about the power of the mind so you do have to rely on your muscle memory and and that practice um but i've been part of studies uh with with your brain of where how powerful uh visualization is like your your brain doesn't know if you physically have done something or whether you've imagined it and so that's up to your mind control and how positive and how quiet you can keep that conversation in your mind because you at the end of the day can either you know, be your best ally or your worst enemy of what kind of conversation, what kind of noise. And that's, that's what Ali's talking about is like that channeling and that focus in that bubble and, and how she uses that. Um, the brain also doesn't uh, understand the, the negative part. So um, let's go back to rodeo. Uh, if, if I'm running in there and I'm like, I don't want to like, don't knock a barrel don't knock a barrel. All your brain's hearing is knock the barrel, knock the barrel. Right. So like you, you have to change your language into it always being positive and not focusing on, on the end result, because that, that will be what it'll be. You still have to do your job in, in the beginning for that to, to play out. So and, and when you were talking, Ali, about, um, you know, before three people, three jumpers before you, and that's when you kind of really zone in, it's so important in your preparation prior to that you keep that noise level in your mind to a minimum. Uh, I remember one year I had been, I'd crashed in Altenburg, Germany. This is in a, um, Eastern Germany. It was right before the 2006 Olympics. The overall World Cup title was on the line. I, I was terrible on this track. I was scared of the track. I needed to win at least a bronze medal at that World Cup to earn the title. And, um, you know, I didn't even know if I could get down the track. And essentially what I had to do to get through that race was instead of worrying about what could happen down the track where I've been crashing, because that's where your mind will go is as I was, we, we train like track and field athletes. So sprinting drills, lots of sprints and jumps and power. So I'm warming up and I literally had to control my mind of right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, like keep it as simple, simple and stupid as possible, like numb myself so that I, I didn't overwhelm or um get myself into that tizzy that is easy like your that's where your mind wants to go and that's how you can that's how you can do it it, it takes practice but I, I I know what it's like to feel it wow. yeah I I do things like that too because it's like when you think about that like very mechanical movements or like you know you're putting your gear on and you make it very routine and very cat like mechanical you're able to take your attention and put it solely into that so you're not overthinking what you're doing you're not you know becoming obsessed like it's not an intentional thing but you become obsessed with you know maybe the result or oh what if I crash what if what if what if what if and you shift that away you move away from that path of thought and the more gently you can move away from the path of thought like okay let's work on you know tightening my boots and like how does it feel when I'm tightening my boots and I'm putting my you know uh, my wedges in and that sort of thing you you're taking the focus very gently because the harder you try and pull your focus away from it, the more it's going to stay on what you're trying to move away from. 
it's like active meditation in a way, like everybody mm -hmm. thinks it of totally is. When you're sitting there like a Buddha on your pillow with your eyes closed. Well, you can still do your meditation in an intense environment. And that is how you're able to kind of just really zone in and get into that, that bubble. Oh yeah. Speaking of meditation, that's another thing I've used to train my brain. So like when I am meditating and I'm like visualizing and I'm super calm and relaxed, I've started like I started with saying it out loud and then as I got better and better, I would say it quieter and quieter until I can just say it in my head. And when I say this phrase to myself, it like it pulls me into that focus where I'm super like zoned in, but I'm I can feel my heart rate drop the second I say it to myself. It's like it slows down immediately. And so I have it written on like my skis so you can so I see it when I go to like I always fist bump my bindings and I give my bindings a little safety check I fist bump them and I like look at my little saying and then I get on the bar I used to get made fun of sorry Ted one more thing because this yeah, comes yeah. up in all racing too of like what what is a trigger something that can like help get you yeah. there I people used to make fun of me all the time because I'd be on the start line yawning and they didn't know what's wrong with her. Did she not get enough sleep? And I had trained my diaphragm. I had trained my brain and my diaphragm of like, when you get that release, like when you totally expand that diaphragm, you get that deep breath. And then all of a sudden you feel all the endorphins, you feel that release through your entire mm -hmm. body. And it's, it's, it's just like, you've taken something that has just got you. So you're so chilled out and ready. It's, it, yeah, it's like the same kind of idea. It works. Yeah, it totally does. Mm -hmm. You Alex, you mentioned a saying, uh, you don't have to share it with us. It can be, I don't know if you're willing, want to, willing to, but you mentioned a saying, yeah. you can tell us what it is. Would you, do you want to tell us what uh, it is? It's, it's why not? I don't want to so know. It's like, it's tattooed on my hand. It's like a pretty public thing. And it's like, um, but it's like, it, it's not like a, why can't I win? It's what's stopping me. It's kind of my way to remind myself that I am the only thing stopping me. And, you know, it kind of puts me in the right mindset to compete. Because at the end of the day, my biggest competition is myself. I'm always trying to one-up myself. You know, even though I am starting against other girls and I'm jumping against other girls, I'm trying to beat other girls' records, I'm still, at the end of the day, competing against myself. I'm trying to one-up myself. I'm trying to be better than I was yesterday. Well, that's all that you can control, right? Yeah, that's exactly. All. You can't what you do is all that you can control, and then the outcome will be what it'll exactly. be. You can't control the girl from Finland and what she's doing. You know, like you just got to focus yeah. on yourself. That's just exactly. burning energy. Yeah. And also, like especially with uh, a sport where the environment is so heavily dependent, like on like outcomes. Like I'm sure for you, it's the same. Like weather conditions and humidity change everything, and wind, and you know, the sun and how cloudy it is and how dense the air is and if there's fog or if there's no fog and all those things impact how far you'll jump and obviously there is a system to try and help make it more fair but you know it's not perfect it's a guesstimate everyone weighs weight like has different weights and ski lengths and suit sizes and there's a whole bunch of factors to that but you, know, you can't help it if someone got really lucky with conditions and had a good jump or you can't you know control you know, if they got gated down and got the gate comp that you didn't. So you can only control yourself, especially in extreme sports. Okay. There's so many more things that we can talk about here. Wacy, you haven't said much for a while. I want to let you. I'm just taking it all in, man. You're good. <laughs> Honestly, I like, it's funny because I, I'm, I consider myself a coach, not an athlete. Cause I, I, I coach for, from like 07 till 2015. This is like a lesson for me. This is phenomenal. What we're getting from Alex and Melissa. <laughs> So, so cool. I'm loving it. 
I wish and that I would have known these things then. <laughs> yeah. And talking to you, we have very similar approaches to sport, you know, and I think I obviously I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, there's some levels of success that are uh, shared there, but especially in an extreme sport, I think you have you kind of have the same thing as us where it's like it's a lot less forgiving when you make mistakes. Well, it can cost you a lot more. And mm-hmm. that so that could be there's a couple things here. So so Melissa, I guess I didn't know you well enough a long time ago and I we, I still know you super well, but but we've been I've been around you lots of different times between your time at the Stampede and and in the rodeo business and you know uh when you uh came back after Vancouver and I remember the quote was I feel like I let Canada down, mm-hmm. uh, going from second to to out of the medals, right? In that, but in that uh, second run, what was going through your mind on that run? Was it totally a mistake, or was that in your head, or what? Like, what? Where were you at with that? Yeah, um, for sure, it was. You know, that moment was something I trained for for 15 years of my life. I, and I acknowledged that it, when I was on the start line of like, okay, this, this is what I prepared for. Here I am. I have the opportunity to win a gold medal at my home Olympics. Like what would it, what would that feel like? And it was, I, I didn't know until that moment. And it, I just, I felt so calm. I was so happy. Like I had the biggest smile on my face. You couldn't see it because I have black visor. There's like 20,000 people lying trackside. It's wild. The energy and um, I had pushed uh, for my fourth and final run where I had the opportunity to win the gold medal, sitting in the silver medal position. I had pushed a personal best in a Canadian record. So, you know, we're bent over pushing the sled and then we dive on and we steer the, the sled we, with pressure points. And um, I was in corner six and I, I had made a mistake of where I came out of there a bit too early, bumped the wall, pushed me late into corner seven. And then that's where I had the oscillations in the corner and literally fell out of the corner. And that was like the big, it wasn't a crash. It slowed me down a lot. And so um, I knew in that moment, I'd never done that before. And I knew I was like, oh, I'm in trouble. But I just, I kept, you know, more aerodynamic, got quieter on my sled. And when I crossed the finish line and saw a number four on the clock, I, you need to see a number one because they go in reverse order. I knew I had dropped out of the medal position. And that was just, that was terrifying. That is like an athlete's worst nightmare ever. And I knew the most important thing for me to do in that moment was to grab our maple leaf, our flag, and show all of Canada how proud I was. Keep your head tall. Like, you know, it was devastating to me. And I and I went into the the finish house. And at that point, I probably had the opportunity to go and hide and never talk to the media. And I thought, no, that's that's bullshit. Like the Canadians have followed me for four years. This is like the most attention amateur sport, especially Canada uh, skeleton has ever got in Canada. Um, I'm not going to go hide. I'm going to go out and, and speak my truth. And there's not going to be any excuses and just say, you know, I'm sorry, I, I'm human. I made a mistake. That wasn't the plan. And it was scary. That was scary. When you're going through that whole uh, line of hundreds of cameras and reporters and, you know, they instant, like they're wanting the dirt. This is drama. And I, I was just raw and real. And, you know, I cried. I wasn't really a crier. And it was, you're just saying, sorry, you're just, you're brokenhearted. And that's all that I could say. And I, I had no idea the impact that that would have during those Olympics and in Canada and what it did for Canadians, like the, the letters and the 
this is well before social media, essentially, like Facebook was maybe just getting started a few years before. So it's a different time altogether. But for people to have like go to the lengths of efforts to contact me and say how proud they were of all of the Canadians and, and loving every sport and whether you won or you didn't win, it just sort of showed like how we rallied together as as a country. And um and just appreciated everybody, not as machines, as athletes, as, as humans. And it was like, that was like a really, really special, special time. You, you yeah, mentioned 2010 was magic. It, it was. It, Sorry, I go ahead, remember parts of it. I, I want to say, uh, going in, you said turn six, was it like, how much control was there going in? Was there a moment where you were thinking like, Oh, I need to make this point or like, was there a loss of focus at some point in that part? Or like, I kind of missed that part as to where, Know what like happened. why it happened well yeah, you know it, you hit a it, rock it, on the thing or like what happened yeah so I typically I don't like to use my feet I I'm more of a subtle driver and being quite quiet and the ice conditions had changed quite a bit it got quite a bit colder and so it was just a you know you're you're going fast like at, at that point in the track we're going about 110 kilometers an hour like down at the bottom we're going 145 or 43 I guess for me um and it was just a, a quick decision of where I all of a sudden felt like I was a bit too high and I needed to get out of there. And I, and I, and I just, I used a bit, I was just a bit too aggressive in coming out of there. And it was something very slight. Like I only missed the medal by 2400. So it was, it was minuscule of, of how far I was off of winning a, a medal, which really I wouldn't change it to this day. Like it was something that was a part, a part of my plan. It, I feel like it had more impact of when I go and speak to corporations and school groups and, um, you know, everybody's worried about failing and, you know, the outcome of that. And essentially I did that on the world's biggest stage and, you know, the sun still came up the next day and it's, it's how you handle it and your character and your integrity of, you know, it's, you, you can't be afraid of the bad things happening. It's, it's essentially of, of how you handle it. I, I wanted to kind of put this together a little bit because I there it seems like there's a, well, I, I might be making it up too, but there's a bit of similarities. You won uh, bronze in 06 in Torino. Um, Alex won bronze in um, ba- 2022. Yeah. yeah, in 2022. So, so would there be any, uh, I don't want to say, maybe, maybe it's uh, advice for Alex going into her, you know, Hopefully, what is her next Olympics in 2026 in Italy, Milano, Milano and Cortina in 2026? Mm-hmm. That's kind of neat. But back in Italy, too. I forgot about that. Um, That's really funny. I know. I know. You know, listening to her speak is uh, she's right on track. Like she's got it all figured out. And the simpler that you can make it and the more... Um, whatever, whatever your tricks are to alleviate that pressure, that that's going to be the most important, you know, you just keep your head down and do the work that needs to be done and know that, you know, anytime that you get overwhelmed, like whether that's with media, like, I don't know what it's like uh, to, to be you in this position with social media now, right? Like we were, we had so much media training back in the day and now it's almost like you can kind of control it or it's, it's just there. And it's just part of how things were like, it used to be quite a big deal in the earlier years. Right. So, you know, just control what you control and make time for all the things, whether they're good and bad uh, of, 
of, uh, cause you know, there's some athletes that would be like, no, I'm doing blackout. I'm not talking to anybody, but then that almost created more pressure. So I had a plan of like, mm-hmm. no, I've got a time in the morning. Okay. So we're training in the morning, we're sliding in the afternoon. And then this is my hour that I do my media. So book these, book, book these interviews in here. And it was just, it was just part of it. So it was never overwhelming when you got to the big stage in a sense. Um, but I, you know, she's, she sounds like she's right on track and as long as it's fun, make sure it's fun. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a, a, a want to mentality, not a have to mentality. Cause we all know what that's like and just make sure you find those things in, in your daily regime that make you want to do it. Yeah. And there was a point where I didn't like want to go to training, but after, so I had knee surgery last April, I crashed and I tore my meniscus and partially tore my ACL. And so it didn't repair the ACL. It had grown over with scar tissue. The surgeon went in and was like, I've never seen this before. This is insane. And so I made a full recovery from knee surgery. And one of my first training sessions back, I crashed and my foot snapped in half. It bent around my boot. And so the I like it bent, it happened so quickly and it hit the top of my binding and I was jumping a small hill. So it was really low speed. So the binding didn't release. And my foot essentially like bent around my boot and the Liz Frank's ligament. So the main stabilizer in my front landing foot, it snapped so hard that it ripped a hole into the bone of my foot. And so uh, I continued to train on it for months. And I finally, like we finally got the MRI back. It took like more than a month to get the MRI back because the doctor had did the original like examination said, no, you're fine. I'm not writing you a prescription. Like, just suck it up like two weeks you can start training again and so I was training on quite literally a hole in my foot and you know once I was I had a conversation with a doctor and I was in a doctor's office and my coach was translating because he's Slovenian and I was bawling my eyes out because the doctor was telling me that he thinks I'll never ski jump again and that's when I started to want it because I'd always use the excuse like you know this is your you're young this is your like first season like it's fine that you didn't do this it's like okay you failed like I was giving myself excuses and it tended to be like oh it's okay you're young you've got time but once it's like this could be it there's no more time that like I I I started enjoying the working out I all those things I'd taken for granted I started to love like I love going to weight training and I love doing hurdles and you know I, I love going to just hang out with my teammates and you know do that sort of thing and once that all changed I started performing really really well that's one That's thing, Ali. And the old coach of the U.S. team, his name was uh, John David Jarrett. Um, he actually co- coached Billy DeMong, who won the Olympics in 2010. Um, yeah, I know who Billy DeMong is. <laughs> I feel like such an idiot for, for our interaction. He's, but, also, no, he was he's like, also married to a skeleton athlete. Did you know that? He's married to to Katie. She was a skeleton athlete. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. And it was the coach, uh, J.D. Um, or John, John David Jarrett. That whole you're young is like, you can do anything in life. You can be an athlete once. Like you can't switch that career at 35, right? Like you have, you have your twenties yeah. and your teens. That's it. So embrace exactly. that. Yeah. And you know what? I've become friends with another one of the girls. She's a Japanese girl and you know, she is super successful, but still so down to earth. And she's like the kind of person that you want to be around because not only does she want me to make want, she doesn't, she makes me want to be a better athlete, but she makes me want to be a better person too, you know? And it's just, it's one of those people where it's like, I'm very happy to have them, you know, in my little circle, you know? 
You mentioned Ali can be in the category of JB Mooney now. Okay. I guess. Well, I, that's what I, I wanted to ask about that part of it now too, though. It was kind of came up earlier. Yeah. But the injury side, because like, so I have this like big gnarly lump here from my collarbone, broke my jaw, dislocated my shoulder. Um, I got a wrecked hip right now from playing hockey at Max's skate. Somebody tried to press and try to pass me a puck and I blew my hip flexor out. Three PM Tuesdays like, oh. at FCA. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's like, <laughs> it's still messed up, Max. It was like six weeks ago. But uh, injuries, I wrecked my shoulder and dislocated it a whole bunch of times and had surgery on it. Then I never, ever could really get past that because I was always worried about the injury. What? That's another sports psychologist time, which I wish I would have went to. But for you guys, like Alex, to go and come back from this and, and Melissa, I don't, I don't recall injuries on your end, but there had to be plenty from, from your sport too. But Alex, uh, talk about that for a bit too. One thing I'll um, say is the life of uh, an amateur athlete, the ski jumper is we're always injured. Yeah. You always have something. I, you said it's I, not that dangerous. Since I've been, <laughs> yeah. But it's like always minor injuries. Like I stretched all the ligaments in my shoulder crashing and, I smacked my head into a wall and got a concussion and I broke my nose, smacking my head into a wall again, like little things. It's like that just take a couple months to get over, but it like still kind of interrupts your progress. It's more of the injuries that ski jumpers end up with. And, um, but I don't know, uh, my boyfriend and I, he, we always say this to each other. It's see, go to sag. It means win or go to the tomb. So it's like win right. or die. Yeah. And so it's it's a little bit of a joke but it's also like I'm gonna commit to this because in ski jumping it's more dangerous if you don't commit to what you're doing than if you kind of like go in trying to play it safe it's so much more dangerous doing that and I've gotten much more hurt trying to play it safe than when I fully committed all the way through my jumps what is playing it safe in ski jumping I I can't I can't (laughs) imagine like is this is this like is this somebody like I, I've seen, well, our buddy, uh, Kino, remember that day Wacey had the video going over a jump behind a ski do mm-hmm. and he was like rolling the windows down, trying to like catch his, catch his, yeah, uh, so, right. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind of like giving up on the speed and bailing early. And that's way, way, way more dangerous mass max, uh, than if you like follow through your whole jump. Cause when you follow through with your whole jump, you stay on top of the speed and, even if you're not going to go in for a good landing, if you're on top of the speed, it hurts your knees, your shins, your hips, all a lot less. So I like... never had the issue of going too far, but um, yeah. Fully... <laughs> <laughs> fully the, I've, only, I've, only, I've only ever really had one jump where my bailing out was better than going too far because I was still kind of like, I don't know, what's two meters and feet in the air? Six feet. Allie, have you have you ever done the top gate challenge at uh, Lake Placid? No, I would die. I'm not allowed okay. to do that. Yonko's already told me I'm not allowed because I Okay, so that was the thing back in the day. Stefan Reed and I would always do it. Like we'd be at a training camp last day, we'd go top gate. You would like kick a field goal, pop your chest, and there was no way you're going less than 100 meters. And and, and it was and a you small jumped cron. It was terrible. Uh, I've the cron that exists today. No. Okay. Well, I train out of like between gate four and eight on cron if that gives you any idea of like that's my main training hill no like, for sure. oh the, the the top gate challenge like we were literally even in plastic going yeah, from like bar would, five and top yeah, gate's like I would 30 not be doing that. yeah i would not yeah. i think my coaches i think i'd blow up both my knees if i did that now you would you i would. i nearly did that in a world cup so you know <laughs> Yeah, and is that is that wrecking your knees on the jump like is that where you'd like no, no it's on, on the landing, on the landing because landing. 
there's an R1, so that's the curve where you jump from, and then there's R2, which is at the bottom of the hill, and at the bottom of this curve is the hill size. So that's kind of the last point where it is safe to land, and anything past that is so much like G-force, and it's just so high impact. And when you go that far, you tend to be coming in from behind, so you kind of lost your speed, and it's just so hard on your knees. So is there a limit as to like a physical, like a, a limit based on physics? For the distance that you can actually go, like the way that these are built, they're built. Are they uh, building them well, differently? Well, kind or? of, but if you have the right wind or you're going too high on speed, like it can be really dangerous. Like there was one Slovenian guy, he went like 20 meters further than should be possible, and he just like collapsed because his body physically couldn't handle the gravity coming down on him. Holy shit! And that was the yeah. biggest problem with the Calgary jumps, right? Is that uh, we couldn't that actually was a lie that. That was, they just said that, but it, it wasn't actually true because we had enough gates to gate down. So it was just an old shape of a hill. It was an excuse they were using to close our hills down. So, right. I was yeah, like, but the nickname Melissa for the Calgary Why don't they just move the dirt? Weird. Yeah, right? exactly. Why don't, why, like, it doesn't make sense. Why can't they change the, you know, the depth and the angles? I don't know. What was the name, Max? Elevator shaft. That's what it felt like on that hill. Oh, really? felt like you're just falling down a shaft. Yeah, Mm -hmm. falling straight down. I love that hill. Um, But no, we we actually made modifications. Uh, A gentleman named John Serbold, uh, he's from Camrose, Alberta. Yeah, he is the king of of hills. Internationally renowned. He's been at the last 10 Olympics in a row. Um, He he actually competed in 1988 at the Calgary Olympics. And then he coached me at the 2006 Olympics in Torino. Um, we modified that hill a thousand times and we did it with our own money, with our own supplies um, yeah. to kind of keep it somewhat up to date. And we did a pretty good job so that if you're looking at like the Winsport ski jump facility, the second biggest jump actually had a decent profile. Yeah. And that's what I mean. So, it was like, it was just an excuse given that, you know, the public, the general public didn't have the information to be like, okay, well that's bullshit. Right. Like they couldn't say, okay, this isn't know. true. Like, yeah, they have no no frame of reference. We're not a ski jumping nation. So how would they know? Right. Like they, no one goes and watches the practices or competitions that are held there. So they have zero frame of reference. It's not shown on TV. There's no broadcasting. And so recently we actually now have our events broadcast on CBC. They are at like two in the morning, but it's a step (laughs) in the right direction. Uh, I gotta, I gotta go back to the injury side though. How do you mentally get over the injuries? And, and Melissa jump in here too, but like, but what, what is the process or what is the, what do you do to get over these injuries? So you're not, so they're not in your head when you go back and go again, or are they? Well, the first jump is definitely like a little bit more cautious. And obviously I'm starting on a smaller hill than I'd normally jump just to kind of like test things out. But, um, I don't know. I, it's not something that I really struggled with. I was able to kind of put it aside because I have the skill to, you know, shift my focus away from, you know, whatever's <laughs> stressing me and is kind of distracting me. So, you know, I knew that going into my first jumps again after injury, I was physically ready. I'd done my rehab. I had, I was in possibly the best shape I have ever been in. I was running every day, which as a ski jumper, we don't really do that. So, you know, I was running five kilometers every day and doing an hour and a half of core, two hours of core every day because I had nothing else to do. I, I couldn't walk. Like I was running the zero gravity treadmill, so it was no impact or like things like that, right? So I was working out a lot, getting myself ready to be 
uh, competitive this winter. And so it was just like doing the work when I and doing what I could when I was hurt so that I knew I was ready going into it. Because that's really all you can do. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I'll focus a little bit more because obviously there's all different types of injuries, but the <coughs> important one that I think is important in all sports, especially in rodeo is concussion. Um, and when I, like when we were going into 2010, like we were still in the era of where you didn't have a, a concussion unless you were knocked out. Right. That's what, that's what everybody was thinking. You didn't get from your sport. You didn't understand what the warning signs were like. Uh, so we were in Whistler in 2009 an intensive training camp um and we thought that uh uh quantity over quality was more important so we're thinking we're going to have the advantage at the 2010 olympics if we can uh get down this track 10 times a day but we didn't understand is what that was doing to our brains and as i kind of mentioned earlier is your brain is inside your skull in the shaken baby syndrome and so we would we were we were all like in a fog. We were trying to do these two a day trainings and you would go in for lunch and you couldn't have the TV on and have conversations at the same time. Like, like I didn't understand what was going on and same with my other teammates of it was the concussions. Um, one of my last training runs in that camp, I had a crash in corner 16 that the corner where the loser had died uh, eventually, like when we get to the 2010 Olympics and hauled off into the hospital, I, my, I exploded my sled, I had stitches in my face. And, and that was the last run that I got to take until we started that Olympic season. So we were back in Whistler, the end of September sliding, and I was terrified. Now all summer, we had done all the promos like CTV was doing the believe campaign. I was one of the athletes with my commercial and here it's like, you're focusing on winning on this gold medal. And I'm asking all of Canada, if you believe and all the sponsorship stuff, well, every day I'm waking up, I'm not sure if I can even get down that track, let alone be make that Olympic team and challenge for a gold medal. So that goes back to the mental strength of no matter all that negative talk that you're having in your mind of looking yourself in the mirror and like say like literally convincing yourself that you know, you're good at what you do P power of positive thinking like put all that crap aside and just focus on what you need to do today that's it don't get involved with what's happening down the road we're going to the gym today we're sprinting today we're at the physio today like just not getting overwhelmed and when we went back to the track, um, I was I was terrified. I, I I cannot describe that type of fear of where I, I was sick to my stomach. I was I, I I talked to my coaches and I asked, I can't go from the top today. Like I, I don't want to go 140 kilometers an hour on my first run down after that devastating crash. Can I go to corner three? And that like is kind of unheard of. I was really being a bit of a pussy, essentially. Um, and they allowed me to. And I what I didn't understand is kind of what Ali was saying is uh, going slower. I, I didn't know how to go slow. So that run, when I went from corner three, it, I was like a windshield wiper, no control. My body was all stiff. Um, and it scared me even worse. And so I'm down at the bottom. I'm all quiet. Like All my teammates are coming down from the top. So John Montgomery, who ended up winning the gold medal in 2010, they're all high-fiving each other and cheersing. Yay, we didn't die. Like, we're excited. Okay, let's like get, let's get going fast now. Because everybody has those first runs of the season nerves. And I'm in the back of the truck as we're getting hauled up to the hill with my equipment. And I'm thinking, I got to go from corner three again. I, I like if, if I can't do it from corner three, I can't go from the top. And John like looked at me and he was like, Mel, he gave me a kick in the ass. And he was like, Mel, you are one of the best sliders in the entire world. Like stop wasting your time. Stop wasting our time. We're a team. 
I believe in you. You're going from the top. And I was just like, wow. Like, and that was sort of the, the rally of the team of where I, he saw that I was in a pretty low spot. I was terrified. So I'm like, okay, I'm up at the top and I'm just shaking. And I'm thinking, okay, if I, maybe if I throw up right now, I, I like, I don't have to go down. <laughs> and, and I remember seeing like that, the red light to the green light cha- changing to a green light. And they announced my name, like Melissa Hollingsworth, the track is clear. Ding dong. Like everybody knows what that feeling is like of that instant, like adrenaline rush. And I just like surrendered. I was like, okay, I'm either, I'm either going to live or I'm going to die, but I I better, I, I, I better just let this go. Like that's baggage, let it go. And that run was like one of like a nice, smooth, clean run. I felt like I was connected to my sled in the track and the energy. And there was no looking back from there. Like that's when I went on and won the overall world cup title was going into the Whistler 2010 Olympics as the number one ranked woman in the world. And it all was that pivotal moment of whether I was allowing fear to guide me or whether it was just like, let it go, surrender. So, mm-hmm. and that, if we're talking about it's kind of a merging story of concussions and a very serious issue of where we then learned how to manage that, but that, that was like the biggest thing, but how to overcome that. And then, you know, obviously being very sensitive to what concussions can do to people, obviously, um, of, of making sure you're not pushing past those limits and, and knowing, knowing when the time is to stop having people around you to tell you when it's time to stop is, is critical. That's wild. That's so wild. Um, <laughs> there's and there's something to this extreme sport part. Like Alex, we talked about this right off the bat, but like we've talked to different athletes in in these different places, and rodeo and bull riding is extreme, and 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 ski jumping and skeleton are extreme. Um, I wonder if there's something different about some of the some of us that do these things. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I've I don't know. I've always been crazy. Fun. Yeah, right from the beginning, because you were sick. You, yeah, my, you mentioned this my mom and I were talking about this today, actually. Uh, you know, even before that, I was crazy. I was like, we have this staircase that goes down into our basement, but it's like a hole in our living room floor and it just has railings. And as a child, I would put the couch cushions at the bottom of the rails like a toddler and I'd jump the six feet down onto the couch cushions and I'd run up the stairs and then I'd do that again. Or I was like trying to climb up the curtains or I was like trying to build wings to fly and I was jumping off, you know, the monkey bars at the park. And I was, you know, I was trying to do all these things that most kids would be like shaking doing. And I was like, let's, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And so, you know, there's a video of my first time skiing and I don't even try to stop. I just go straight down the whole hill. And my dad's like bombing after me, trying to catch up to me. And he's like, yelling at me to stop or sit down and then I try and go off this little jump and you know it's just it's just the way I've always been and you know my dad is also uh, an adrenaline junkie he was a professional motocross rider and he was a black belt in judo and jiu-jitsu and so he also likes the adrenaline so I wonder if part of it is learned and you know seeing like both my parents are very adventurous so learning to have no fear from them or if it's something inherited you know a little bit of both maybe yeah i'm complete opposite actually believe it or not um i i'm not an adrenaline junkie um i'll think twice about a lot of things and i think like with skeleton i was just i was young enough um 
I just thought, okay, I like to go fast, like whether I was on a horse or a snowmobile or like I like tobogganing headfirst on my crazy carpet. So sure, let's try this. Um, but as far as like being a daredevil and wanting to do crazy things, I've never, never, ever been like that. I'm pretty analytical and I'm going to think about like all the different things. And I think that was my strength in my sport of um and just kind of then learning, learning how not to be fearful within that. But you you take me out of that context. I don't know if I want to put some skis on and go down that ramp. Like, <laughs> like I don't really want to, I don't want to go downhill skiing. Like, I, I'll do it, but it's not like, oh, yeah, I'm not the first one to, like, sign up and be like, let's let's go see if we can die today. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's what I was going to kind of get to about, like, the bull riding side of things. Like, uh, bull riding hasn't been a uh, ladies kind of side of things, but is that something you like you're already in the barrel racing side of things but like alex like what do you think on, on rodeo or western sports like is that anything in your on your radar much has it ever been have you been in the stampede much or what are your thoughts yeah i mean the thing is i haven't lived at home since i was 14 i've spent my summers in germany or slovenia since i was 15 years old so you know i don't really have a lot of experience with that sort of thing and i actually think i'm going to continue to live in europe when i'm done my career in uh, sport so we'll see are your parents over there or you just got to go over no. there on your own? Yeah, I'm all alone. Um, my, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I have people over here now. Like I've made some friends and, you know, I'm quite close with my boyfriend's family. Uh, and so I've kind of been adopted by people around me. So I'm not completely alone, but I got to see my dad uh, yesterday for the first time in months. And, you know, I kind of see my parents kind of two, three times a year. Wow. And I spend uh 11 months away from home a year that's called commitment though that that's what a lot of folks aren't willing to do to be at at an elite level as an athlete or at at anything really because like i I don't want to go away from home that much anymore like i prefer home like i I, it's not easy to do that but it's easier to do when you're 19 i guess but but still oh well i was just saying like my home is europe now i i've been there for so long and you know i i have my own apartment i i pay my own bills (laughs) but <laughs> with that prize money um yeah. yeah the european adoption is like a real thing i i did that i yeah. lived in europe for about five years and the beautiful part is like I, I i was east germany and poland and they just they take you in like yeah, it's the same in I started a, and austria yeah i started a life there like i i go to weddings in europe now like from friends that i hung out with in kind of my late teens early 20s it was amazing and in all honesty, I think part of it is being Canadian. Like, people are so, like, even if they don't know who I am, because up until recently, no one knew who I was, but, like, people are so genuinely excited to meet me as a Canadian, not as a professional athlete or as a ski jumper or as world champion or an Olympic medalist. They're excited to meet me because I'm Canadian, and, you know, I find that when people find out where I'm from, they're so genuinely excited to interact with me and welcome me in and, you know, learn about, you know, my experiences and my culture. And I'm excited to do the same about theirs. And so I think that like mutual respect for another culture and other experiences is why people love Canadians so much. As a Canadian, this will be my first time going to Europe uh, in May. Um, do you have any suggestions on the flight over? any ways to prepare anything i need to know about going over there go ahead the best way to deal with jet lag is to sleep the whole plane right or as much as you can like take a melatonin whatever you need to do to pass out and then when you get there do not sleep until 9 10 12 o'clock 
and then you'll be good. It tends to work like one, two days and you'll be good because you have to be able to adjust to jet lag quick to be competitive. Yes. Yeah, so she I'm told sure you, you that. Yeah. She told you what to do. This is how you do it. So when the first movie comes on, when you get your supper, well, I don't even know if they do movies anymore on the flights. Probably not. But are, we, are we talking about that six o'clock flight to Frankfurt? That's yes. Are you going to Frankfurt, Ted? Uh, no, we're flying. A, I'm actually going with Donnie Joe, Jim Nevada, and Jeff Chadwick. We're going to go golf in Scotland, London. Every, like we're flying to London. Okay, so you're, taking the train. It's a, it's it's a nine kind of flight. It's a yeah. nine hour flight. Okay, so when they serve you supper, get a cocktail, whatever or, cocktail you want. Doesn't matter. Make it a double. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Have a cocktail, a melatonin, and a gravel. Yep. Oh, really? And then you'll Trinity. sleep. And then you'll sleep. <laughs> And you got to try and sleep. And if you can get five hours of sleep, then you're good. You're going to feel like crap when you land because you're going to get there at like 11 o'clock in the morning, but to stay up. We would go to the water slides is what we did. We always went to the water slides. We spent that day at the water slides and stayed up. And then we fell asleep about nine o'clock that night. And you went head first down the water slides, right? Yeah. Yeah, We we just go for a run. (laughs) I guess that works too. Uh, other thing I want to get to, Melissa, uh, amazing race. I, I forgot that you even were on that. Uh, we're going to talk about that really quickly. And then, and then a little bit on the stampede as much as you want to get into that in the broadcast times with, uh, with CBC and sports. Yeah. Um, uh, let's start, let's start with this, the Calgary stampede. So I guess to bridge the gap of all this, of why would I be involved with Calgary stampede? Uh, my dad raised bucking horses. And so, um, he's Good had ones some too. Pedro, yes. I remember Pedro, Pedro, Wilson, Sanchez, yeah. black feathers. So some of those names, uh, pop up of they've been at Calgary, the NFR or whatever. And your dad, Darcy, uh, Darcy Hollingsworth, Darcy. Yeah. Everybody Darcy knows, and Tammy. Yeah. That's my, those yeah. are my parents. So, um, I, which is actually pretty cool. When I was training for my first Olympic games, grated coconut was actually at our house. And that's when he was a three-year-old stud. And I remember going out into the pens and I got to pet on him. And uh, the reason he was there is because Winston Bruce, uh, they needed, I think it was a bit of a drought or something. My memory might be a little bit foggy on this, but regardless, they had to place some studs elsewhere and told dad to come down and pick out some studs. And he picked him out and something got hurt. I think in the novice lineup for Calgary that year. And they were like, ah, oh, we got to bring that stud back. We're going to throw him in the novice. And then all of a sudden they figured out he was great at coconut. Oh boy. So, but he did like- breathe. 17 of our mares and um like dad had a, a fairly good start on his breeding program prior to that but that obviously really boosted um yeah, five, so got- five or six time world champion bucking horse who, yes. who for your information alex this horse was was one of the buckingest horses and, and max you might not know this but there's a picture of kelly armstrong who's another uh stock uh like stock contractor his kid was like three or four years old was sitting on this horse in the back pens before a performance where they set a world record on that horse with a 95 point ride. Like this is a bucking horse that they can, you can be, you can be almost hundred points on, which is a perfect ride and it's tame in the back pens, total tame, yeah. totally tame. Which, wow. which is a, a great testimony to that. These horses aren't wild. They're not forced to buck. It's genetics and bloodlines, just like human athletes. And, and uh, they love their job. They absolutely love, they know what they're out there to do. That's why they're, you know, whether they're a left or a right delivery, they go out and circle out. That's why the guys know how much rain to take on all of them. Um, anyway, so yes, I come from rodeo background that way. I chose to do amateur Olympic sports. So I, I you know, didn't get back into riding and barrel racing until around the 2010 Olympics. And 
um, they had just asked me, they were like, you know what, you know, a little bit about barrel racing. This is in 2010 after those games and it's CBC. That's the host broadcaster. Um, why don't you come call the barrels? And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, you know, it's usually somebody who is a professional barrel racer. Like, no, no, no. This is CBC. We're trying to, yeah, we want to talk to the rodeo community a little bit, but we want to pull in more like the Eastern community, people who don't watch rodeo and be like, oh, wait a minute. Why is Melissa on here doing this? Cause they know her. So anyways, I guess I'd done a, a decent enough job that they had me come back every year. And then it, it sort of evolved into doing some hosting gigs of where I was interviewing the, the winners uh, after they won around and whatnot and doing some of the profile vignette pieces with some of the, the cowboys, cowgirls, like uh, equine athletes, chuck wagons, doing all of that stuff um, for about 10, 10 years. So in that time... Um, I got to meet Nancy Chabai because she was one of our Canadian uh, champion barrel racers. She also won around at Calgary Stampede. And in 2017, uh, they had done a casting call for the Amazing Race Canada, and it was the hero season. And she had thrown out on her Facebook page of, oh, this is a bucket list of mine. Who wants to apply with me just to like tell her friends? And I thought it was funny. I was like, sure, let's do it. Like, And I only just knew her as an acquaintance, essentially, if we were up at same perfect rodeo or interviewing her at Calgary. And um, and I had gone to a charity event in Victoria, John Montgomery, the host of the, who's my teammate in Skeleton, he's also the host of Amazing Race Canada, picked us up at the airport and he had an Amazing Race clue card in the car. And I took a picture of it and I sent it to Nancy and I was like, this stuff doesn't just happen. Come on. Like the stars are talking to us, like call me crazy. Let's just apply and see what happens. And she was like, okay. So we put in our application video and a twist on our story was we didn't really know each other anyways, right? Like everybody was either brother, sister or in a relationship couple or partners at work or, or whatever it was. So it, that was, um, it was an outstanding, cool journey. It was really neat. Um, learned a lot about myself. Uh, unfortunately, on they didn't show it, but I had tore my calf on the very first episode and I was one-legged <laughs> for the entire race. And so oh, that yeah. was a very humbling experience for me because my strength going in was, oh, I've got this confidence. I'm a strong, fast athlete. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, <laughs> I have one leg. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was definitely an experience of a lifetime. I don't know. I don't know where, what else I need to ask, Wacey. You got anything else, Max? No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm just taking notes on how to live my life with these two. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like, I'm like fired up right now. I'm motivated. I'm going to go to the gym after this. Like I'm going to go probably lift some this weights. This is a good, 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 good time for uh, golf season to, to arrive as well. Yeah, some of these go... things going to take me to the golf course. Absolutely. Broken wrist. Oh, oh did you, is it, did that happen oh, at hockey no. at 3 p.m. on Tuesday as well, Max? <laughs> yeah, it did actually. Yeah. What the oh, hell? Oh, how do you I'm break a wrist at a shinny, dude? Oh, boy. Going too fast. <laughs> yeah. Probably on a breakaway. Hit the net, fell down, hit the net. Panicked, fell over. Four on yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, uh, uh, there's a couple more things. Wacey, you've got the main question to ask, and then I'll probably remember what I was going to ask after that. So, oh, yeah, I guess we'll, okay, we'll, we'll go around the horn. We we ask all of our guests on Cowboy Shit this question. Start with Melissa, move on to Alex, then we'll go to Max. Um, but Melissa, what is your definition of Cowboy Shit? Your guys' podcast per se, or just no, like that's the phrase, like the phrase cowboy shit, yeah, yeah, or cowgirl oh, okay. shit, or gonna... cowgirl shit, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's um, an interchangeable thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think going back to your authentic roots, so 
you know, obviously we're within the, the rodeo farming agricultural type uh, community. So that could mean something to us of where we're just raw and real and uh, work hard, work hard and have fun along the way. Um, it gives me some pride of like being able to bridge that a little bit to my life when I was when I was in Europe and I was sliding as an athlete I was very very proud to be from Alberta to be from a rodeo family and to have like those those that cowboy culture roots and the horse on your helmet the horse the horse skeleton Great. Yeah. And I had a yeah. horse skeleton painted and then I actually had pictures of all the rodeo events on on my chin guard <sighs> And they were real, they were real pictures of my family members and like me barrel racing and stuff. It was all sketched, but, and that was important to me at that time, because that's the last piece that I'm putting on my head before I'm sliding down. And it just, it kept me grounded to remember who I, who I was in my core. All right, Alex, you're up next. Yeah, definitely <laughs> having lived away from home for so long, when I think of cowboy shit to me, it's like home. Cause you know, I'm from Calgary, I'm from Alberta, like. You know, and when my teammates and I talk about home, it's one of the jokes we make is like, you know, we're from the cowboy place. Like when, like when people are like, oh, like what's it like in your part of Canada? And my teammate Natalie and I, we have a joke where we're like cowboys. That's it. There's that's our <laughs> only explanation we'll give. We'll be like cowboys, and they're like, okay. <laughs> and so you know, it's something that our team, when we're listening to a hype song as a team, it is most oftentimes like country music, and you know. We're screaming in the car, like listening to like old school country. And that's what we did for our hype up for world championships for the team event. We got cowboy hats and we put Canada on the front of them and we put on cowboy hats and listen to country music. And we were yelling every country song that was coming on. And our <laughs> biggest team hype up is uh, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy, you know, the big and rich song. <laughs> yeah. That is our team hype up song. Uh, so, you know, our songs alternate. But uh, they're often like that kind of like party country music, just so it's like really high energy and, you know, everyone's getting excited. And yeah, so it's definitely something that's like kind of makes me think of my team, but also makes me think of uh, being home. You you mentioned old school country music. What is your definition of old school country music? I'm kidding. you just said big and rich. Big and rich would be probably the definition there. That's like, that was like, that's like 2003. Yeah, that's like, yeah. I was like, yeah. 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 I karaoke that song on the weekend. <laughs> i'm actually on an okay, alabama but also may i add that i wasn't born yet in 2003 so to me yeah that's old so this in her in her world man <laughs> okay max what do you got max you're up oh so it's similar to ali it was my identity when i lived in europe right cowboy hat western canada just it just fit and uh and the music and whatever i i, I work a corporate job now and i wear cowboy boots and blue jeans to work every day culture man it's what it is Oh. Yeah, we're the cow. Like the Europeans, we're just cowboys. Honestly, that's all they say it says. <laughs> yeah. Really, and always ask about Calgary Stampede everywhere yeah. I went. Yeah. Like if I was in Japan, yeah. anywhere they're like, "Oh, you're Canadian, yeah. Calgary, Calgary Stampede." Everybody knew about Calgary Stampede. Mm -hmm. That's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, like you're you're really proud that that type of culture um, isn't just within our little province; that it is worldwide to be known for something. Huh. It's pretty well. cool. So last the last week on the show, I kind of made some comments about the Calgary Stampede. So I might not be invited back for a while. But uh, <laughs> you guys were talking about both of you, Alex and and Melissa, were talking about a sport commission and getting in trouble with the sport commission over cussing or something, wasn't there? 
something about that. We don't have to talk about that. But like, who who um, is who are these people making making these these? Our media comments? guy gets mad at me, and oh. <laughs> uh, CBC also has gotten mad at me. I met the guy who had to bleep out all my swears from the Olympics, <laughs> and then again from the <laughs> championships when I won, and he was like are you the small little ski jumper? And I'm like, well, no. yeah. He's like, you're the young one. Yes. And I was like, yeah. He's like, do you know how much bleeping out you I had to do during the Olympic games? I'm like, no. He's like, you swear a lot. I'm like, <laughs> that's like, that's like Rocker Steiner at the at Vegas this last year. <laughs> oh boy. Well, I guess that's I why. Like I, want to get to that. I feel like, when you win an Olympic medal, when it was very, like, we were expected to come in eighth at best, and you win an Olympic medal, I feel like you deserve to swear. You uh, earned like, a few F-bombs there. We earned it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'd like to take this time to apologize to absolutely nobody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, this was this was so awesome. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Max, number one, for lining it all up, and thank you to Alex and uh, and melissa wacy everybody thanks for being here today thanks for taking the time sorry we kept you up so late over there uh but this was this was a lot of fun thank you You got some new fans back thank home you. yeah thanks for joining us and uh and best of luck to you alex at uh at your i didn't we didn't even ask where you're going next what what's the next event like what, um, what's your schedule? so this is the season finale so you have to qualify throughout basically the entire season so because of my injury i did miss like half the world cups including like the ones that i missed for uh world junior championships so i missed more than out of 26 events i think i missed 14 or something like that and so uh my ranking wasn't as good as i wanted it to be but i still qualified within the top 30 to go to the grand finale and so the top 30 girls overall get to go and compete in the final so where is that the last world cup to win uh we're in lati Wait, jumped in the big hill. I've never jumped this hill before. I'm excited. They had an empty quiz for me. He'll be there. <laughs> okay. How do we watch? Where do we go to to watch this? Is it CBC? Um, it's going to be on CBC. So it's very exciting that CBC is finally like broadcasting our events. And you know, part of it is that now we kind of have basically every weekend all season we've had at least one girl in the top five, and we haven't gone a weekend now without having a girl in the top ten, which hasn't really happened before. So, you know, um, it's been a while since we've had girls that consistent for Canada, and now they're really showing it. And so it's really exciting. Well, best of luck to you out there. Thanks for thanks How can, for be, how can people watching. follow you, Alex? How can, like, what's your yeah. handles and stuff so people can, can stay up to date and follow along with your, your journey? Uh, all my social medias are the same. It's Alex underscore Ludit with uh, two T's on the end of Ludit. L-O-U-T-I-T-T. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks everybody for joining us, Melissa. All the best yeah. to you out there as well. And we'll uh, we'll see you again soon. Have fun in Arizona the rest of the winter. Thank you. I will. See you. Nice chatting with y'all. Good luck, Allie. <laughs> Thanks again to our friend Max Thompson for lining us up. Max is Preston's boss at H2 Safety. He was <laughs> he's, become, he's become a good buddy over the years. He's a buddy, Max. Yeah. Yeah, he's like good Max. stuff. He, uh, man, the way that that all came together, he called me like, he's called me a bunch of times and I didn't know how serious he was. Like, I was like, 
yeah, I'm, I'm pumped that he wants to do this. And he wants to have the show together, but I was like, oh yeah, okay. Like we'll get it lined up. And then he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll do it Monday. And then I kind of like, I forgot about it a little bit. Then he calls me and he was like, Hey, you ready to go for the show in the morning? And I'm like, Oh fuck. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not ready at all. I'm not Sorry. ready at all, dude. Sorry, Sorry, I'm not bro. really ready at all. So, <laughs> so, uh, he's like, yeah, we gotta do this today. And I'm like, Oh, fuck. okay. Shit. All right. So I changed a few things around and I was at the house when luckily when it all went down and then Alex just jumps on the zoom. I get an email. She's like, Hey, Alex is in the zoom. I'm like, Oh, son of a bitch. So I jumped in there really quick. And then I was like, Hey, good to see you. Like I was trying to like not let her make her wait too long. Cause I, mm-hmm. it was like half an hour. She was like a half an hour earlier or more. So get everybody around. I was like, Hey, she's here. She's here. Let's get this thing going. So thanks again for making it happen though, Max. That was, I won't doubt, you know, not gonna, not gonna doubt, <laughs> not gonna doubt it. I'm gonna make Max sure get this, shit done. Yeah. I'm gonna make sure this is uh, I'm ready next time. So well, and, and shout out to and shout out to those girls, man. It's awesome. It's cool to see like yeah. the kind of the gap, like, generational gap, and them talk about even how similar their experience. Medals. Yeah, so it's really, really cool to hear that, and it was awesome. And even like talking to Alex, how mature and and dialed in she is for her age. It's it's damn impressive. So it was I, really I got, really cool. I got some thoughts like there with like kind of how we when we talked to Kendall Pearson about winning the winning the national high school finals in the breakaway. It seemed like there was a bit of similarities on the mindset. Mm-hmm. mental side mm-hmm. of it but yeah i love love that chat that was like i said i'm pumped up we, we're trying to finish the show out here today this is the we just did, did the interview this afternoon and, that, and now we're doing the top and bottom afterwards and it's like five o'clock calgary time and i gotta go get to the gym and do some stuff here now so and finish all these emails that came in today so <laughs> got, got lots to do but wait we talked about houston and calgary off the bat and we got a couple more things about that before we wrap mm-hmm. the show up yeah so another thing that happened in the four round in Houston, JB Mooney got knocked out while getting ready in the shoot, which is hate to see that happen and like speedy recovery to, to JB. But it's just, it's one of the, I don't like, I, I don't get why guys don't have spotters or I don't know if the guy was not, there was a guy there spotting him. Like yeah. Spotting, like, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like it's one of those things that's such a preventable thing. Cause that for like, that's what started my whole confession problems was I got not, I got knocked out in the shoot like that. And the guy who was spotting me, wasn't paying attention. So it's like, I don't know what you need to do to like, you'd be really selective with who you get to help you on, but it's just like, that's the most dangerous place to be. And so many, so much shit can go sideways there. And now who knows how long JB's going to be out for hmm. after that's just coming back. Not ideal. Not ideal. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know what the motivation is on his side to keep like, keep trying to go on when he's, you know, what is he 37 now? Yeah. I don't, I don't know how, like, I, I don't know how to stay. What, how some of folks would stay motivated, but mm-hmm. but I guess like even when we talked about talked about this before, um, what do we got? Thirty six years old in the bull riding, yeah, which which isn't that old, but in bull riding it it is older. And like what Max said in the show, what are the some of the uh, what do we what do we get to? Sorry, some of the advice he got was that you're only, you can only be an athlete for a certain amount of years, and thirty six mm-hmm. is already getting to an you know uh, elder statesman in the in the bull riding world. So, so I, I think it'd be tough to keep motivated at mm-hmm. that age to keep going. But, but then again, I think when we talked to him about the show, like what else does he know? That's what, yeah. He what do you do? Yeah. That's just it. So, and that's one conversation we never really got to with Melissa was like life after sport. What, it, what does it look like? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. That's a whole nother conversation. Max is working in the oil field in Calgary, right? Yeah. Well, and even like, like Aaron Roy could be a similar example of a candidate. Like he's true. He's on the, he's on the, uh, I mean, he's, and he's still riding and doing well, like you can't do his ability, but it's just like, yeah. What things look like after and what's the motivation to keep going now? Yeah. I wonder. And Aaron, uh, 
I forget what age he is off the top of the head. So he was 35 back in the fall. So he'd be 36 this year. Same age as JB. So I guess, mm-hmm. but Aaron's also broke just as much or more of his body than JB too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. Wow. But I mean, still, if you can go to Houston, make the final four when you're 36, well, still got, still got it. Or like yeah. Adriano Marias, what, what was he 37 or 39 when he won his third world title? Yeah, he was a million yeah, dollars was. then. So mm-hmm. some, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I just, I, I think the biggest thing from that is just like, you got you got to be so careful with your like with your with yourself and that kind of stuff like that. Like trying to do what you can to like keep yourself safe, but it sucks seeing somebody you get hurt, not even in game competition. So in the show, for your young guys, always have a spotter. Hmm. Ah, waste. There was one other thing too we were talking about. Uh, I've been I've been watching The Last of Us, and I gotta say, pretty cool to see a lot of recognizable names in the in the stunt performers. So you got Jason Glass, uh, truck wagon driver. Saw him in a bunch of the stunt. In, the, in there doing stunts, Tommy Clark, somebody we got to get on the show still sometime, uh, mm-hmm. Chad Cosgrave, I think former truck wagon racer, isn't that right? Yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be probably in the like related to Colt somehow, somewhere somehow, like Colt Cosgrave, yeah, yeah. somewhere in there. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know enough about it. I'm sorry. Uh, Tristan, Lindsay, Woolsey, both both in there as well. Uh, they, Lindsay Greg was talking Slosher about the scene too? she was in. Yeah, it's cool. Greg Slosher too. Yeah. Yeah, well, and super it's cool to see all the Alberta landscape too. Yeah, Cowboy Country, Western Store, Nanton, the Ranchlands Hotel in Nanton. Uh, Cowboy Country is at the end of episode five. We saw that one the other night. Uh, yeah, like the legislature building in Alberta and that main street going mm-hmm. towards it. That was in one of the first. Like the Fourth Ave flyover in downtown Calgary. And I kind of missed that part. I don't forget what that one is, unless it's further down. Like, uh no, you see it in the first in the first episode, I think. Okay, well, I missed that part. Then. Yeah, yeah. We've been like trying to pause it as we go, like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I can't even say that I really love the storyline or like the whole show. Like, I'm more interested in the geography and like seeing Calgary in the show. Did that, you, did you I, see I, the one where they had the the scene where they they were ten miles west of Boston or something, and they were just like Rocky Mountains? Yeah, yeah, that was. Cool. <laughs> the Appalachians got looked a little tall this morning. <laughs> they got roasted pretty hard for that one, but it is yeah. cool. It's cool to see the the Alberta landscapes. And even now with like the award season, like hearing Pedro Pascal talk, talk about his experience in Alberta and like yeah. talk, speak so highly of being in Calgary and Edmonton and the people and all that kind of stuff. It, it's pretty, it makes a person proud to be from that part of the world. I hope that season two is recorded here too. I don't know if it will or won't. Like, I don't know if it's deal if it is or not, but I mm-hmm. hope it is here too. I, I think it's really neat. Super cool. Maybe we can get it. Maybe we can get you on as an extra. Well, you know what? I was actually thinking about that. With Amber, we got to bug Amber Marshall about a cowboy yeah. shit cameo of some sort. Oh yeah, and on Heartland, like maybe this seat this summer. Make know, it I'll just be, we'll just be like, we'll just <laughs> like be Dale in, uh, Brisby's a cameo in uh, uh, Yellowstone. Yeah, just right. Just, some beans. Yeah, just eating some beans out there. Like Lacey <laughs> and I can eat some beans on. No, what we need to do here's the, I can like here's the scene. They got to do a scene at the Longview Bar on karaoke night, and you and I are singing karaoke while they're in Longview Bar. Islands in the stream or what? <laughs> Meet me in Montana. Do you know doing the entire or something? <laughs> that's true. Oh boy, that's funny. But okay, anyways, back to the Last of Us. Pedro Pascal. There's a fucking <laughs> petition going around Calgary to get Pedro Pascal as the grade marshal this year, which I think would be awesome. That'd be the best move Stampede's made in a long time. Yeah, because he can ride a horse. We know that he has to ride a horse in the Last of Us. Looked like he rode decent too. And they were doubling. Yeah. They man calling him out on something else. Riding fucking five days on one horse, two people, and. Eh. Should get called out on that too. That was yeah. That that's later later in this. Have you not got to that show? That no, yeah. I've kind of fell behind. I'm on, I'm I haven't started episode five yet, but I've seen the oh, clips fuck. and stuff. Yeah, so I've seen like the clips. I don't know if it was six or seven or I don't know where we are, but 
one of the episodes I got to ride like five days on a horse and they fucking double. I'm like, oh, I don't know if that's that part's legit. Like they had plenty of horses. Why the fuck didn't they both have a horse mm-hmm. for a five day ride with two people doubling? Come on, man. Come on. Repeat. And the world's gone to shit. I guess people oh, do crazy things. Jordan Dodds too. I've heard about Jordan Dodds. He's in there as well. Canadian Finals Rodeo. Um, I think both in the team roping and calf roping too. But it was super neat to see all those those familiar names in there. And I, I'm and Jim Finkbeiner, Wacy's dad. Actually, I saw his name in there at one point too. Uh, super cool. I thought it was really neat to see all these recognizable names in there. There's a guy on Instagram. His handle's Davy Gravy. He's went around to all the locations in Alberta. And like shown like the side by side clips from Last of Us and where they were. He was like oh, went really? down to Fort McLeod and did all that kind of stuff. So if you're if you're interested in checking that out, check his page out and you can see like all the videos and stuff. It's pretty neat. Super cool. Mm-hmm. Well, Wace, I don't know what else to say. Just besides thanks everybody for doing the show with us. It was a lot of fun. Ah, I think Pedro Pascal would be a great parade marshal if they could get him to do it. I think he probably would. Um, once again, I'm looking forward to not having to work at the Stampede this year. I think that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, uh, Pitbulls, Pitbulls playing Friday the seventh. I just saw. Oh, I just saw that. Email You'll see too. Mr. Worldwide, Teddy. Mr. Worldwide. Hey, you're gonna be around then too, aren't you? Yeah, hell yeah. We could both go to Pitbull. That'd be kind of an interesting <laughs> show, wouldn't it? Be crazy. I'm probably gonna have way more fun not working this year. Oh, for sure, show. man. Oh, it's gonna be just like no meetings to go stress, to. You you don't have to stress like stress reliever. You don't have to like show up and catch up to people drinking after the evening show. I just don't have to. I can just start in the morning. Yes. <laughs> Let her marinate all day. <laughs> We're gonna have like a real stampede barbecue at the house after yeah. work. Hit some yeah, pancake it'd be, breakfasts. It'd be like a, kind of fun. So yeah, looking forward to that, man. I guess you know one one thing that I uh that I thought was interesting today. I went to my chiropractor earlier and I and he's I asked him like how old he was because we got talking about stuff and he's like, Yeah, mm-hmm. I can't play. He plays beach volleyball actually. And he's like, Yeah, all of a sport. Yeah, he's like, I can't play beach volleyball more than once a week because my body doesn't hold up. And I'm like, What? Like you're you're not that old, man. He's like, Yeah, I'm pretty old. I'm like Oh, how old are you? Like you look like you're like 45. Like you don't like you're not that old. He's like, oh, I'm 52. And this guy's in really good shape. Um, so yeah, I was kind of but he's like, you told him about pickleball but, yet? No, but he said he said that he lives without as much as without stress. Like as much as he can, he mm-hmm. lives without stress. So I was like, Oh, okay. So maybe that's a good call to like get rid of some stress. I remember my dad Everybody. talked about that before too. Do the things had, that do yeah, do things you like. Yeah, do the things you like. Yeah, yeah, buddy. There we are. Okay. Have, you pick, have you been pickling lately? No, I can't even get in any fucking classes at the winter club. It's fucking Damn, that's a hell of a sp- come out to there's you see the pickle of a facility here in Vernon. We'll get you out here and we'll just pick one. But you're away when I'm there, you fucker. So wow, it's it's a close flight. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it work sometime. Uh and then in the summertime, I'll get some games in. I'm working hmm. on some custom paddles with Bill to get those <laughs> built up for us. So. Anyways, thanks again to Max, uh Max Thompson lining this up. Uh um Alex Ludit. Uh, thanks for the time. Melissa Hollingsworth, this heck of a show. Wacy, thank you. As always, we'll catch up with you all next time. Once again, this has been the Cowboy Show 10 Wacy. I'm Teddy's Wacy. Thank you for listening, folks. I say, oh, brother, let's go now. Let's go down, won't you come on down now Whoa, brother, let's go down Down to the river to play No satisfaction for this bastard child You got me running in circles while the fire runs wild Going face to face 
with a dead end wrong The devil said I couldn't hang around anymore Oh, my tears could fill a bucket with sin I wonder that I fall into the mess that I'm in So I came to the world and everything that it's got Thought I had a handle, but the handle got hot I went down to the river to pray Studying about that good old way And who shall wear the robe and crown Good Lord, won't you show me the way And oh, brother, let's go down Let's go down, won't you come on down now Oh, oh, oh brothers, let's go down Down to the river to 